Welcome to episode 11 of Miniatures Monthly. It is the very last day of 2017. And my name is Chris Thurston, and as ever, I am joined by Tom Senior. Good day. Hello, Tom. Hello. Welcome to the last day of 2017. It's about to end. It's what have we done end. it with it? What have we done it? Painted what have we done with it? <laughs> we painted lots of little things. Beautiful little things. We painted things. I mean, specifically today, though. Oh, today? Um, I thought you meant more generally as in, like, no. a life thing. Oh, so today we played, uh, we played some Warhammer. We played Warhammer, basically. We played Warhammer all day. That's more or less what I'd like to take away from 2017 yeah, as well. Great. Yeah. Um, if we're slow to answer questions like that in the podcast, it's because we, each of us have probably drank most of a cake, like a, <laughs> a thing of beer each. It was good. Thanks, Warhammer. Lovely. Um, good. And a Merry New Year to our listeners. Obviously, that was very dour. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it's very <laughs> like, official. It was very the news. <laughs> I went to look at my papers and so uh, next yeah. on today. Next on Miniatures Monthly. <laughs> this is literally the news though. That's my segue into the news yeah. segment. Wow. Off to a rollicking start. Um, so there has been like, so the big news that feels like is looming on the horizon. Uh, because it literally is at the, at the time we were recording this days away from actually being announced. Is it portentous? You might say it, it is portentous. It's uh malign portents, mm. which is whatever it is that, uh, Age of Sigma has been building up to. This was the event that was announced alongside the first Herald, which was the Knight of Shrouds, the very cool death, very, uh, very cool death model. Death model. Um, and, uh, they have since, they've since confirmed that the Dark Oath War Queen, the mm. barbarian lady, is the Chaos Herald. Um, they've uh, revealed the Destruction Herald, which is, uh, well, well, what the fuck is his name? I've completely forgotten. Uh, it's oh, a gosh. night goblin. He's had an accident with a mushroom. Accident? Uh, <laughs> well, he probably intended it to happen. Let's have a quick look. I'm just going to look it up quickly because we should try and remember what things are called. The Fungoid Cave Shaman. <laughs> okay, lovely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, which is nice because it's the first, like, I mean, Night Goblin range is super old. Yeah. And, uh, well, sorry. I say Night Goblin. What I mean is Moon Clan Grot. Ah, uh, of course. Um, and, um, and this is the first new model in that range for a long time. Uh, and it's fucking mad, as you'd expect. Yep. And as you'd hope, I suppose, I mean, their whole thing was always consuming mushrooms to um, improve their, well, I don't know about improve, uh, enhance their battlefield experience. <laughs> uh, and with this, this guy has gone a bit a step further and sort of like become one with the mushrooms, like growing out of his head. He's got them coming out of his, you know, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah and everywhere. his um, his nose and chin have like armor. <laughs> yeah. That forms his face into a moon, which is nice. I like that as well. Yes, yeah. that's good. I saw some discussion in our comments about, because a lot of these new models, um, we haven't got to the biggest new range yet, but, um, these Herald models in particular, and a lot of the new character models feel very, um, designed in a good way. Like they're monopose character models, as GW character models has always been. Yeah. But I've seen the argument that they're so characterful now. So I, I find this funny because they're so characterful that there's not a lot of room to change them. Mm which is definitely a thing. Definitely a thing when you have, uh, you know, uh, so for example, I've hit this with the, um, the rules for slaughter priests in corn army. Yeah. They're generic warriors. The sculpts are all very expressive and interesting. Um, but there's specifically a detachment, a battalion I'd like to do that has three of them. So there are two sculpts 
So which one am I going to pick to try and convert into yeah. something else? Right. That's a, that's definitely a thing. I definitely appreciate that. Um, but this sort of criticism of the new range of GW scope seems to rub up against the criticism that, um, the new models don't have the character that the old ones used to. Hmm. Like surely both of those things can't be true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see that, but especially when you're looking at the new Moonclan Grot model. I mean, this is an ex- extremely characterful model. So like Slimux, uh, which is the Nurgle snail riding gardener mm. warrior thing again i, I think I, I i like those sculpts and they're great but i think that it can hinder your storytelling a little bit if there's only one slimax and he's in your battle there's only one alariel and she's in your fight you know what i mean and you, you don't always want to be uh doing the main plot line you want to be doing your own sort of that's side true plot line. like i think there's an interesting um there's a difference between very characterful sculpts and sculpts that are literally characters yeah and i think i don't know why they have done this but like the, um, the only, so there's been a couple of, I think the only new AOS model this month was the new Lord Celestin on foot. Oh, yes. Who's the guy with the shield and sword. Mm. But his name is Gavriel Short, Shorehart. Yes. And I, I know it's Gavriel because I keep saying Garviel <laughs> because of Loken. Yeah. The yeah. Heresy, who's exactly, is an anagram mm. of a different Warhammer name. And there's, as far as I can tell, no reason he's a named character and not a new kind of lord celestin for the stormcast right right? yeah and it feels a bit weird to me that that's a named character Mm. it's also weird to me that he looks so much like meatloaf but like (laughs) and he's really squat he's got tiny thighs it's it's slightly like meatloaf (laughs) like meatloaf yeah yeah. Um, doesn't like meatloaf actually um and but nonetheless right there's a sort of Mm. um i don't quite that i I definitely don't get but the um maybe i sort of uh, stumbled around the subject initially but i think there's an interesting argument to be made about whether or not everything should be a sort of multi-pose customizable kit and people should be encouraged to kind of come up with their own designs for these characters. Right. Yes. Or if these sort of even sort of not named kind of generic heroes should be kind of as, because the, so these, these sculpts are so detailed that they're, they'd probably be quite difficult to convert. I think mm. it's the kind of the flip side of it. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. um, they're so, they're beautifully designed for a particular pose and a particular look, but it's, it's an interesting thought because I think, it's sort of interesting. You get a wave. I think this will raise the overall standard of people's character painting in a way and their, their armies and their, mm. uh, their stuff because every individual hero is not just a kind of, I've been thinking about this recently because I've brought a lot of stuff back from my parents' house again over Christmas, but not everything is just sort of a traditional T 2d GW model mm. that you have to convert to give it kind of any personality you're in this territory now where everyone has access to a kind of certain bar of kind of quality when it comes to the miniatures themselves. Yeah. And then whether you, whether or not you choose to customize is sort of a level beyond that, but is no longer, well, I don't think it's ever mandatory, but it's certainly not now, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's very different from between 40k and AOS with this as well, where 40k, where people are very obsessed with gear loadouts. It's very much mm. about gearing up your army. Um, being able to reflect that on the model is very important. And I, th- I can understand the criticisms of some of the captain models where you don't have many options and that's such a big part of the game, but that doesn't necessarily exist in the same way for AOS. You're talking more about how narratively it fits together in your head when you're using mm. these models and also personalizing those models makes them feel more, you know, in tune with the story you want to tell with them is, is more of a expression thing than it is with 40k's the complaints with 40k's characters um but still i mean there are like moon there's the loads of moon clan grot parts you can make uh, a moon clan grot 
general with the history of GW's sculpts. Like you can still scratch build stuff. And I think I wonder if they're looking at it and they're thinking we kind of want a lot of our models to have like a lower difficulty barrier. Mm. Uh, so those monopose models can look great and don't necessarily require as much fiddly gluing and holding in place and pinning and a lot of the stuff that conversion demands. And what do you do? Do you cater to the people who want to just put the model together or do you cater to a relatively niche selection of people who want to convert everything and personalize mm. everything? Maybe they're falling down on the kind of more populist side of that. I think so. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No. I mean, maybe I'm becoming a bit of a miniature populist in that way. But like, I think it's good that the average sort of player who just wants to glue things together and spray it and wash it and dry brush it, um, has access to mm. expressive sculpts out of the box and they can offer kind of instructions for multiple kits mm. on how to make things look right. I thought it was, it was a good bit in one of the recent white dwarfs about how to match your torsos and arms to your legs when thinking about poses and how mm. people stand and how people actually move that's interesting that's that's all kind of useful stuff and the interesting things to sort of teach people because you do see some weird looking builds mm. yeah, yeah but for these characters i think it kind of i think it's part of the appeal actually is that you mm. can kind of you have immediate access to a certain degree of um detail and quality and everything else and then obviously painting it is on is always on the user um but equally um achieving personalization is probably like if it's important to you that option is always there and if it's not important to you then the overall quality bar has been raised yeah I, yeah i think if you're determined enough you can still convert those models though mm. that that moon clan probably is quite a difficult one to do because all the fungus bits are so interlinked mm. with that form his form is just part of the same you can't change that pose really i think that's the thing like this 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 discussion sprung out of this model particularly and I'm, i am genuinely taking this from a chat that was had in discord because i thought it was interesting yeah because it was that sort of thing of like um because it feels like there are two competing schools of criticism of the way GW design miniatures now, given that I feel that GW are miles ahead of everybody else mm. in terms of fantasy miniatures design. Um, there might be some arguments in sci-fi with infinity, but like it's, it's pretty close either way, mm. but it, there's sort of the argument, there's two arguments. One is that the latest generation of GW minis have ended up kind of sterile in a way that the classic old sort of Citadel sculpts where you get these, you know, you can literally see the hand of the sculpture in every miniature because there's only one way it can it be. It's one piece of metal in one slaughter base. That kind of thing yeah. is fighting against um, a kind of modern sterility. And then there's the other side of it, which is that the quality and detail level of the current models is so high that it is diminishing the exactly what we were just talking about, that creative side of it that came mm. in in order to f- make interesting things out of the older, much more rudimentary sculpts. Yeah. I don't think there's necessarily an answer to that. It's just mm. interesting that these two sort of completely contradictory, um, uh, contrary views of what GW are doing, are kind of emerging at the same time. Mm. I think it all, it, it might change when we learn what my importance really is. Yes, true. Because if there are actual characters that are heads of specific factions and et cetera, et cetera, and there's, there's part of a, an overall story, then of course they're going to get their own sculpts and they're not, you wouldn't expect like a, an Alarial or something to be especially moddable or poseable or a Slimux or something like that because no. they are just big, uh, hero characters. Um, and they, they're going to look similar in every game and you wouldn't expect like, well, Alarial could change a bit because she changes her aspect and can kind of, Altered. You have to replant her every time. Like <laughs> right, sea yeah. monkeys. Yeah. Um, but you, if you, you're not going to put her on a dragon, are you? She's always going to no. be on the Wardroth Beetle. She's always going to be in a similar pose. She's just yeah. the concept. Well, I mean, I guess that brings us to like, so it's sort of, I don't want to spend too much time speculating on it because I imagine next month's podcast, mm. um, will, and which is certainly be a little bit sooner than this one was because 
running slightly late with December, we'll cover what Malign Important actually is because yeah. we'll know by then. Mm. Um, but if, it feels like it's going to be a big deal. And the reason I say that is simply because, um, like, they've gone to a greater extent of teasing this than with any previous AOS thing ever. Yeah, initially I thought it was just going to be a small hero set of hero releases with some rules around them. And or a story a event or something, yeah, like a story, story event or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but now with having done all this and a lot of the imagery they're using, the kind of death imagery, like, is really interesting. I mean, is, is this a death tease but you know if so what do those other factions have to do with it you know yeah interesting like we can get onto this in a minute but like um death is definitely the new big thing mm. in aos so um the novel that was released on christmas day which i've been um I'm halfway through is nagash the undying king which is about a uh uh nurgle invasion of shyish the realm of death mm. it's really good it's really good like the latest wave of AOS novels have been great and really blown open that setting for me. No, oh, awesome. Um, really great kind of, and, and Nagash and Dying King has particularly a kind of really great assessment of what it's like to be a mortal in the realm of death mm. and what it's like to be a mortal who worships Nurgle, uh, sorry, who worships Nagash. Like it opens with, um, Nurg- uh, Nurgle kind of sieging this city and as a last defender who's a, uh, this sort of female warrior who's kind of holding the gate with her brother. But her brother's a skeleton because her brother died fighting someone else years ago. Yeah. And it's just like a, you know, and he says, like, stay behind. We've got this. And all the skeletons move out to kind of protect the morsels. <laughs> and like, um, interesting. Cause that's how their society works. Yeah. Like, yeah. You keep, di- you keep going after you die because <laughs> they worship Nagash. It's just a new phase of existence. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Um, is, is really cool. So there's all that sort of thing. But a big theme of that is, um, how Nagash has been changed by being defeated by Archeon. Oh yeah. Like, um, there are shades of video game that we have on our relationship with destiny to what has happened to Nagash mm. in that he's been sort of disproved. Like if he can be defeated, then death isn't inevitable. Right. So he's gone mad and there's, um, some really good scenes between, um, uh, Arcan the black, the Mortark of night, not actually Manfred's the Mortark of night, Mark, the Mortark of sacraments. Yeah. He's the guy who kind of has to pretend to like Nagash. Yeah. All of the Mortarks, including Neferata, have fallen out with Nagash. He's the most, uh, he's the most likely to suck up to Nagash, isn't he? Yeah, he's, but he's the real gunner. This makes it clear that he's worried. Oh, right. Because Nagash shows up basically in the same place every day and says the same thing. He's broken. Yes. Yeah. He's resetting. He, he, yeah, he, he's losing his memory. He's losing his mind, right. basically. Huh. Um, but he's sort of fixated on everything he's owed and he feels like he's owed the entire. Right. Yeah, yeah. Universe, basically. Um, so the, the rumor is that Malai importance is going to be Nagash's return, mm. but also that that means him finally claiming his debts owed from Sigma. Yeah. That's exciting. And they've teased in the latest white dwarf and elsewhere that this means sort of the final consequence of what it means to be reforged too many mm, times. Right. Which is, I mean, people are calling it death cast, but they think that might be where this is going. Interesting. So a proper automaton. Army yeah. of like death stormcast. Yeah. Basically. But it would be really interesting because it would mean that AOS's version of the heresy isn't chaos stormcast. Mm. It's death stormcast. Yeah. Well, that'd be really, really exciting. I think that'd be really exciting and it'd be really interesting redistribution of power between the factions a bit. Yeah. Chaos have had a lot of love for a long time. So if death ended up as a natural counterpoint to stormcast specifically. Yeah. Yeah. 
then that balances things out a little bit better. And destruction are just also there. <laughs> and it means they can release more Stormcast models, which are probably some of their most popular, and, mm. uh, and I will buy them. <laughs> well, I was thinking that, like, I know you want to do Skeleton Army anyway. So yeah, if Death definitely. Stormcast show up, then... Ah, oh, holy moly. That's just too much for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I will have a Death Army. I'm going to own a lot of Skeletons by the end of the year. I've got to, I'm just hanging on to see what they do and whether there is a huge... I mean, it feels like there's a huge Death release coming. Um, and what they look like and whether they go down a kind of Spirit Host look. Uh, I absolutely love the kind of in-between look of the Herald of Nagash where he's kind of part spirit but is also a kind of chain mailed figure like mm. th- there's that he still has the accruements of his former life even though he's a spirit and that's kind of the the he's wearing a hat is what you mean he's wearing a hat is what i mean <laughs> yeah. uh but you know ghosts don't tend to wear hats and uh, that's true. says something about a person and so the thing I, I never quite liked about the spirit host is they're just a bit kind of anonymous and it's mm. just um like a horde army you don't really get a sense that they're people whereas what i love about the shades by skeletons is that they have loads of personality yeah. and managed to uh, 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 somehow have most personality of any of them yeah man. somehow i don't know how they do it but they're just like so kind of cheesy and, and brilliant so that, that is what i would want yeah and um yeah that's it's kind of exciting and i would love to see what they do with that sculpt wise mm. and it's it's a cool twist story wise for us as well potentially yeah definitely yeah i'll tell you this right if if they do this if death stormcaster a thing uh your general should still be tantrus <laughs> yeah just he should actually change. finally just like different. we'll play one last game i'll kill him again yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, one more time for, yeah. for the road <laughs> and then then we can yeah that'd be an interesting new phase so, well, so the thing that's, uh, the other side to this, so the thing that's coming out ahead of this is the new Nurgle wave, which we don't have to dwell too much on mm. because, um, it's been expected for a long time. And I think there's a rumor that it was delayed. Right. Because do you remember that the Blight World, the Blight War box yeah. came out in August that included the Nurgle Allegiance ability. Yeah. But then was never followed up on. Yeah. And now finally the book is coming out. Maggot Kin of Nurgle. <laughs> there's some amazing names for the new there is. Nurgle char- characters. I was, I was actually almost going to open this pod by saying, <laughs> and a very sloppity barpiper to you. <laughs> sloppity bagpiper. Slo- sloppity bile piper. Bile piper. Or as someone in Discord said, sloppity Billy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> sloppity bile piper uh, is like the equivalent of a Nurgle musician, isn't he? He plays his- He's a herald. He's one of the heralds. He's, well, right. he's, so there are a bunch of new heralds of Nurgle. Including the herald, the previous plastic herald Nurgle, mm. and now there is the um, sloppity bile piper <laughs> and something like the smallpox scrivener. Yeah, um, I love sloppity bile piper. He's what if Doctor Dukes got very very ill <laughs> and sopped out his horn for a, a, some sort of sack of mucus that he blows into? I think I said this when we were talking about it in Discord, but like. I, lo- I love that doing the realistic Foley work for an actual audiobook based in the Age of Sigma universe <laughs> would be really ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just bagpipes and tooting horns and <laughs> skull drums yeah. all day. Love it. Um, I think, yeah, um, the new Nuggle stuff. So it, it is a full, it is basically to Nuggle what happened to Zinch last January. Yeah. So, uh, new great and clean one, which is a really great model. Uh, Beast to Nuggle now have a plastic sculpt. A lot of this is also crosses over to 40k. Mm. A uh, bunch of new heralds, including guests, Sloppity Bart Piper, and yeah. the the I love that the the Sloppity Bart Piper is the happy one, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the Scrivener uh, is the Scrivener is the dour one with a long scroll full of like corrections, <laughs> and his mouth is a tube that comes out of his face and wraps around his ass and then comes back out again. <laughs> and it's enormous and screaming. Yeah, right? exactly. It's just, he's an internet commenter. It's a, it is. Yeah. Form, yeah. <laughs> Um, the rando. <laughs> and, um, I think you'll find, you should just write that every <laughs> yeah. line on his scroll should be, I think you'll find. Yeah, rules objections. Um, and, what else is there? So there's, and then there's new, there's a new Blight, Blight King, King hero. Yeah. And Blight Kings on drones. Yeah. 
Those which are just feel like Nurgle Skyfires, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them is holding a corpse out, and the corpse is being sick. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit gross, guys. Not it's sure too many ideas at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. I think that's the thing that keeps me from collecting Nurgle, actually. Mm. It is a bit grim. Yeah. Like, is. I have, like, get mild um, trypophobia. Mm. Like, yeah, definitely don't get, collect Nurgle, then. That's the, yeah. the worst thing you can I feel do. like dry brushing it would make me physically ill. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because that's, yeah, that's what makes, that's what gets me about trypophobia, is the idea of touching mm. anything, like, right. circular, and, you know, that kind of, that fear of, like, pop marks and craters and that kind of thing mm. yeah yeah it's all, it's all stick to it, yeah i like i like that they've um they've redone the great and clean one i think it's he's fairly pricey model which suggests he's going to be enormous uh, which is it's the same fitting. price as the other greater demons oh really so uh, it's probably easy i'm glad they've they've stuck with the kind of grinning turd aesthetic of the great unclean one and haven't tried <laughs> to kind of it's a happy poo it's a <laughs> giant happy poo <laughs> with a sword uh and it's coming for you uh so uh, that that is nurgle to me the great this big smiling great unclean one is what nurgle is, is supposed to be mm, just a big old turd it's emoji <laughs> it's like i want to feel offended when someone puts a nurgle army down in front of me just disgusted that they would even kind of like mm. do this to me <laughs> it does look massive like, yeah to scale with the other models it's yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing. I want. To, I'm looking forward to playing against them. I have no desire whatsoever to have a Nogal army, uh, but they're going to have some interesting rules. I'd like to eventually build towards the kind of chaos and divided thing in AOS. Oh, but yeah. that's, that's a long time off. That might even be more than a year off. Mm. And that's. And I think Nogal will probably be the one I got around to last. The only reason it wouldn't be last is if they don't refresh Slanesh. Right. So yeah, done. Don't want to build that chariot. Uh, the uh, I really my favorite model of the range is probably the Blight King on foot. He's the guy with the big shield, and mm, uh, that's cool. He's a, he's a generally cool looking warrior with like hints of Nurgle. He's unmistakably Nurgle, but isn't just a total gross out fucking mess of teeth and eyes. Yeah, and they feature really heavily in a lot of the books lately as well. Oh, like cool. the Blight Kings and. Something I really like about Nurgle, and it comes across in these models, and it's included in things like the Sloppity Bar Piper, <laughs> is that. Like, Nurgle is like fundamentally the most reasonable god. Mm. Like, but in a, in a, like, obviously no chaos god is good, right? There's, that's not to say that they are reasonable in the sense that, you know, just leave them be. It's like, Nurgle is the sort of like fatal centrist of chaos gods. <laughs> He's the sort of like, just give up, it'll be fine. Right. Like, it's fine. Just this is fine. <laughs> you have typhus now, but you're fine. Um, like, oh, your arm fell off? That's a shame, but don't worry, smile about it. Like, <laughs> his knights are all really chill. Right. Like, even when they're invading the realm of death, they're pretty chill. They forgive each other for mistakes hmm. because nothing really fucking matters. <laughs> Everyone's just gonna rot in the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, they are like quite kind of, I like that there's that sort of attitude and like, you know, the corn guys are furious all the time. Yeah. Um, Zinch is sort of always plotting and scheming and ambitious. Slanesh is, um, sort of, um, rampantly hedonistic. And Nurgle is just sort of like happy and fat and sick. <laughs> it's really, really. <laughs> Which is a very, per- it's a perfect choice for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true, actually. They've got a giant evil tree as well. Did you see that's that? That's true. That got announced today, didn't it? Um, I like their is. giant evil tree. That's, that's uh, an interesting idea for a, I don't know what the hell it does, but. Um, they didn't say much about the rules today, but it's, uh, uh, what's it called? It's called a feculent Nalmore. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Um, Imagine that famous five no- novel. Yeah. <laughs> five and the feculent normal. <laughs> yeah. The Harry Potter novel. Um, uh, well, yeah. So it's a, it, it's a terrain piece that will have special effects for Nurgle, mm. but um, apparently in his new rules, um, Oh God, I've got, I, I can't fit that many Nurgle names in my head at the same time. Snail riding Horticulus Slimux. Horticulus Slimux. Is getting new rules where he can spawn them. Oh, like plant them. Yeah. That's cool. like um 
Wildwoods. Ah. Which is interesting. That's cool. Because Nurgle is such a, uh, a natural opposition to Sylvaneth anyway. Yeah, and that would be kind of amazing if you can plant them to stop Wildwoods coming out. Or if they just eat Wildwoods. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Good. Yeah, so that's the Nurgle stuff. That's fun. Like, yeah, like I say, yeah. not going to drag me in yet. And to be honest, I'm pretty convinced that nothing's going to drag me away from my shame pile. Yeah, same. I say that now, but yeah. I really want to get through it. Yeah, I think we both had quite busy Christmases, so there hasn't been a huge amount of hobby happening this month. But we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll, it does link to, the, I will, however, buy the Chaos Demons Codex, which is coming out this oh, yeah. month for 40k. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because that's been quite unpleasant that I just have a kind of out-of-the-box 40k army in my demons. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, not much to say about that other than that's happening. Mm. And it's, yeah, the rules seem cool. And we can talk about it. We played a game of 40k this afternoon, so we can yeah, yeah. talk about how demons feel different. Yeah. Because they are very different. They are very different. Um, the only other thing I wanted to bring up news-wise was, uh, it's a couple of weeks ago now, but Game Structure announced that they were going to do Irata differently for 40k. Mm. And this, um, I thought was great what they, the way they've laid this out. And it's, it's advanced. Um, I thought they'd been doing um, FAQs and rules changes pretty well anyway. And, and they had been doing it reasonably well at a time when I was very frustrated with how Fantasy Flight were handling it for X-Wing. Mm. So um, them sort of doubling down and kind of trying to codify this stuff has been very welcome. So what they've said is that there will be two FAQs a year for Warhammer 40,000 in May and September, I think. Yeah. And then there'll be a chapter approved, which is the 40K version of General's Handbook once a year. And that after any given codex comes out, there is a sort of a window of a couple of weeks for an errata to come out. And I think that's just to protect themselves against, mm. um, unforeseen exploits. Yeah. Or typos, literal, mm. like, oh, we printed a six when we meant a five kind of typos, yeah. which could happen hypothetically. Um, and then they're also releasing rules in beta form for people to test. So, uh, new rules for, targeting characters to close down exploits and smite the spell that does mortal wounds that is popular when spammed, that kind mm, of thing. Yeah. So I, I thought it was worth highlighting because I think it's, it's, it's nice that they have not only been very responsive with this stuff all year, but now they're kind of figuring out how to codify that in a way that hopefully doesn't upset people who do get upset when rules changes just suddenly arrive. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's become an event now twice. Like I, you know, if, if uh, fantasy fight had announced a year ago, here are when our FAQs come out and they always come out at this time, I might not have lost faith in the way that I did. And this month, one of the things that's happened to me this month hobby-wise is I've gotten, I went to a couple of X-Wing events. Um, I won one of them, which is nice. No. And I started to enjoy myself again with the game and mm. sort of approach it in a new way. And I've kind of made my peace with it. And I've sort of, um, I'm enjoying the new wave of ships and the meta is healthier. There are huge problems still, but it's better. Yeah. And so it's been nice to move back into it, but it definitely feels like in a way that it probably shouldn't like a process of healing after feeling really disillusioned with something. Mm. And that disillusionment would have been less pronounced had I had something like this, like a really clear plan for what happens with the game yeah. competitively. And I don't play 40k competitively. So this is very unlikely to affect me, mm. but I just thought it was a really nice way of being open with the community. Yeah. It's interesting to see uh, the war game moving closer to um, our field of video games in the way that, uh, they develop, you know, ongoing development mm-hmm. happens and feature testing is, you know, there's no substitute for putting out a rule set and then reading a load of forums when people report back, you know, or talk about, amongst themselves, talk to yeah, each other yeah. about it. That's like a honest feedback to each other and that you can pick and choose which bits you think are actually viable or worth, worth changing. Yeah. I just think it's a really good. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's good. a good change. Um, made me think like, my importance, one of the rumors is that this might lead to a, rule shakeup for AOS. Mm. Like we're heading to AOS second edition this year, 
which would be great. Yeah. I was going to ask as a sort of quick fire question. If you could, what would, what would your AOS second edition change be? Oh gosh, that's a good one. Hmm. Because honestly, and I'll say this is to make things easier. Like a lot of mine I've realized are just importing things from 40k 8th. Right. Would you import character protection? I would import not being able to shoot if you're in combat. Yeah, I have, that's probably one of the ones I think about the most. Mm. Um, every, I mean, obviously everything would have to be repointed completely because, you know, the the damage output is calculated based on a round of combat and a round of shooting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, of course that would, would come with a general handbook or with a new edition. Uh, so that's an interesting one. It would change the game massively. Uh, and you'd have to put a lot of units in the bin, <laughs> I think, probably, <laughs> if you if you did that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, I think that's a reasonable change and quite a simple change. You can, I think AI still has to keep the rule set simple. I think that's the, mm. the kind of alternative set it has versus 40k. And 40k isn't too complicated these days, but it is a more complicated game. It's a more, you mm. know, gritty game. And AOS is the kind of fun, you know, roll lots of dice. You don't have to, in close combat, assign individual attacks to individual models, that kind of stuff. It's just roll and, and enjoy it. And to that extent, like stuff being able to shoot in combat, you know, means you don't have to define what is or isn't in combat. Is the stray unit out the back able to shoot but the rest of the unit in you know that's true to shoot. It, it, there's a, the, it raises some edge cases not it, i wonder like how it would change the game i wonder if shooting is it overpowered i think it, it's overpowered it feels bad when it's a a massive army designed to shoot stuff but i think that the units that tend to shoot unless they're sky fires don't tend to be like very mobile capture units and AOS is such a, a game about capturing points and um, delivering strength mm. at the right places. I'm not sure that the shooting is, is that bad in the game. No, I kind of, I, I kind of agree. I think the, I think it's more about the strategic space that, that opens up. Like I think a, a repointing is correct. Mm. Um, but I, it's something that struck me today playing 40 K um, and we can get to this when we talk about the game we played, but that I sort of forgot to tie up your units in combat, to mm. stop them from shooting because I didn't realize that's the thing you can do, even though it makes complete sense. Yeah. And I think it's more that it follows logically. I mm. think that's the thing in terms of simplifying the game. I, I find the fact that you can fire a longbow at the person who's an inch from you. Yeah. yeah. Unintuitive mm. in AOS. And I think the longer I play, I think that's one of the things like, I'd love to see AOS stay simple, but adopt some of the things that 40k has done to kind of, um, so, you know, something they changed in 40k is like vehicle facing because that oh, sort yes. of gets pedantic and kind of, mm. um, difficult to manage. But some element of facing or kind of positional stuff being kind of useful gives you a sense of the physicality of the units, I think. Like this comes a lot across a lot in X-Wing where firing arcs are a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and something about the, the fact that, um, the fact that a, a ranged attack in, in a Age of Sigmar as it currently exists is simply a, usually an 18 or 24 inch bubble around the unit where you can fire 360 degrees under any circumstances at any time. Mm. And the cover rules are quite restrictive in terms of what does and doesn't count as cover. So firing a kind of arrow back over your head while you're fighting somebody else is not impossible. In fact, it's completely allowed by the rules. Yeah. And I think that weakens the sense of what's actually going on a lot of the time. Yeah. Which is not to say that you move fully back to ranks of archers standing behind, mm. but that, um, you know, the rules loosen up or like specify a little bit better, like how things fit together. Like, it, you know, imagine Vanguard hunters should be able to shoot into combat. Right. Cause they've got the pistols rule, right? For yeah. 40K. Basically yeah. the pistols rule, but you probably make it specials then because pistols aren't really a thing in AOS. Yeah. And suddenly their 12 inch ranged attack isn't a sort of icing on a kind of weird cake. <laughs> 
it's like, oh, that's actually really cool. Yeah. And their points according. That kind of thing. Yeah, like, it's definitely, I wouldn't instantly hate that idea. And, and it is weird. It does create like weird mental images, doesn't it, when you're actually, uh, you are fighting. I think a lot of the rules I would change would be like fairly small stuff. Like I would, I'd definitely change the cover rules. It's very hard to do, but currently in Age of Sigma, you have to be completely within the cover object to actually get your cover bonus. And the objects just the trainer designed mostly doesn't allow for that. Um, the wildwoods do. That's just like a, a patch of ground that you can stand inside. But a lot of the stuff they've got is just walls and walls don't offer cover because you can't be inside them completely. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that stuff just like maybe within three inches of an object, that kind of thing. It means something. I think, I think it's just a tidying up of those things. Yeah. Just I, think, little, I think like yeah. Cause when I was thinking about this, like my first, my first, my first, I was thinking about what I would say to this question. My first guess was I would say remove battle line as a concept. Right. And the reason for that is I think army building in AOS is too restrictive and the concept of battle line is too restrictive. I think 40 K has done this well where there are different types of detachments that have different requirements. Mm. So sometimes you need three elites in a HQ. Sometimes you need three troops in an HQ and you can mix that up. AOS can't do that because AOS doesn't have the same concept of troop types. It doesn't have no. troops, elite, fast attack, heavy, heavy assault, heavy mm. support, that kind of thing. Heavy support. That's probably what I mean. Um, it just has units and heroes and some of those units are designated as battle line. Mm-hmm. And I find that that concept is sort of, I think that it's fraying at the edges and it's one of the ways in which uh, factions that haven't had rules updates in a long time suffer the most. And I think ultimately that's limiting because the, the point about a line is that um, you have to have some troops, right? You can't exactly. just have that's, that's the power, power rule, units. Isn't it? Yeah. But most armies have loads of troops units. So at the moment, the rules don't account for like, what if I wanted to do a, I don't know, a pestilence and molder army? where I have the troops choices of both of those things, mm. but I don't want clan rats. You can't, you currently you can't do that. The reason I didn't say that though, having just said it was that that, that is something that I think we have learned. You can be more flexible with, with the people you're playing with, like battle line restrictions strictly only apply to match play. One of the effects of them releasing match play last year was that suddenly everyone feels that match play has to happen. Mm. Like points have to happen. Um, you know, proper army construction has to be done for the game to work, but actually it doesn't. And a lot of the best games we've played, we've sort of soft ignored those kinds of restrictions yeah, on that's battle line true. and hero limits and things like that. It feels like it's there to, uh, to counter the hardcore list builders, but it might actually have too much of a detrimental effect on, you know, the, the general game. I think, I think 40k, I think new 40k has done a better job of achieving that while not pushing kind of people who want to play more casually into this place where they have to kind of seem to actively reject the rules everyone else accepts. Mm. Like the fact that the um, battle forged, there's multiple different ways of creating a legal army, depending on what type of troop you have the most of. So three elites is viable. It's just a different kind of detachment. Yeah. Um, with fewer command point bonuses that that's a really nice system the fact and the fact that power level exists like actually maybe that's it maybe i, I would just love power level to come to aos mm. as a concept yeah because i think it i think it does um i was skeptical about whether or not communities would take up power level as a concept over points mm. given that it's more inexact recently i went to play some shades at a club in bristol which was really friendly and really lovely and they have a, a i mean it's admittedly it is their 40k kind of fun nights side not their hardcore stuff mm. but they have wholesale adopted power level oh right 
Interesting. Which is interesting, right? Yeah. Like it's like we play 40 power level games on a Wednesday night. Hmm. And that I find very, um, very, uh, what's the word? Like encouraging because it means that these kind of less hardcore, less granular systems are finding uptake by people who honestly don't want to bother with the tiny peculiarities of hmm. points and army building restrictions and those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you can't try and power game it within that system, but I presume you'd get a bad rep and people want to play with you. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, what what would happen to AOS armies if you took the battle line out. I mean, you're right in saying that it's, it, it's there to make sure you have units on the board and not just. I have twenty Kynoth hunters <laughs> and uh, a branch witch, and that is an army. And Kynoth hunters are really good. Um, so that they mm. they want you to have dryads in there they want you to have tree revenants and actual units so it actually looks like an army on the tabletop and to counter the stuff that used to happen when people used to put down the gash and then put down more talks and there wouldn't be any skeletons or zombies or anything else it would just be like seven models and it would fight eight other models on the other side from someone who would equally eat yeah so i mean well this is the thing right this is the reason that i don't think it necessarily needs to change because it's more that our sense of how it works because like as soon as match play was a thing and it was a thing for as long as we've been playing aos we felt the need to do that right we tended to play match play scenarios we tended to build to a points value yeah and it feels like the the presence of a sort of official mode has a gravitational pull like open play and narrative play are there none of these problems exist in those modes now match play is explicitly there to protect tournaments from exactly the scenario you're describing yeah and what I find really fascinating about this is that I think over the course of the games we've played over the last year, we have gotten more comfortable saying we kind of want to play this like open play mm. or narrative play where we don't worry quite so much about we use points values to kind of get an approximately even game, but we won't worry about so much about army composition, mm. but because we trust that neither of us are going to be dicks about it. Right. Like we're going to, you know, we relax the rules, but you haven't shown up having just bought another four boxes of retributors, no, right? No. Like, um, because what's the point in power gaming when you're playing a narrative campaign with your friend, right? Like yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so all that stuff is absolutely there, but what I find fascinating about it is that it feels like sort of tournament ways to play, matched play ways to play, dominate the conversation so much mm. that even, almost the health of the game is judged against them exclusively. Whereas actually the health of the game is whether or not people are having fun playing it and can find space within the rules to do their own thing. Yeah. Which you absolutely can through whether that's through open play or the open war cards or skirmish or path to glory or, or whatever other form it takes. Mm. So the game is actually pretty healthy in that regard. And that's why, as it sounds like a funny thing to say, why I didn't bring that up as the thing I would change about the game, because it feels like that's there. It just means that there's sort of some slow perception shift that needs to take place away from perfect balance and kind of mechanical purity towards mm. not being a dick about the rules. Yeah. That'd be an interesting change. I, th- I think I'd like to see a better magic system, like a kind mm. of revamped from the ground up redesigned magic That's system. Fair. Yeah. Um, and I th- uh, in my head, it would look something more like the card game that used to happen in old edition Warhammer, but that's just because what I know, that's where my mo- my go straight to. But, um, even stuff like, so in, um, the Horus Heresy box game we've been playing, I've burning Prospero, burning of Prospero. I love that system of uh, people drawing cards against each other mm. to have a kind of psychic fight across the battlefield and something like that. Something quite tactile and interactive. Um, mm. And uh, maybe like 
not necessarily bringing templates back, but having a kind of spatial effect to spells, um, maybe that starts overcomplicating things again. And that's always the risk with AOS if you want to keep it like touch. But these are the things I want spells to do. I want them to kind of I want to to affect areas of the battlefield. And I'd like it stuff. to be something that almost every. I think I think this is something Forty K hasn't solved either. Really, mm, yeah. Like the psychic phase in Forty K belongs to whoever has more of them. Yeah, and it's just a dice off as well, which is you know interesting to an extent, but it mm. could be so much better. I feel like the magic phase or the hero phase sorry in in aos because it's the hero phase because it's explicitly like this is when the heroes do stuff Mm. it feels like it should be kind of um more interactive basically and i think that means more i think that means unifying like prayers and spells into the same system oh definitely yeah because that's that's a weakness right it's weird isn't it like it's weird that people say stormcast don't have magic they totally do Mm. they just rolled 1d6 it's weird they say corn doesn't have magic because it has prayers instead yeah like it feels like those systems should talk to each other like there should be something some meaningful difference right like Mm. there should be something about what it means to cast a spell rather than a prayer that is rules different but they shouldn't be completely separate systems yeah like that would that would i think help it feel more interactive because it means you have stuff to do Mm. even if it was like um you know characters like i don't know if it'd be overpowered to say and it would probably require a rewriting a lot of the rules but like to give heroes a chance to resist spells if they can roll 2d6 and beat their own leadership value Mm. um some spells, some spells are like that, aren't they? But uh, at least then you're the, the other person is rolling, and you know. That, actually, I just realised that make cowardly heroes better resisting spells. <laughs> any sense? But you know what I mean. Some, I know what you mean. Some, like yeah, some yeah. sort of like giving heroes some sort of save against spells. So if I cast a bot zinch at your hero, you have something you can do about it after mm. I've rolled my mortal wounds. Well, this kind of taps into uh, another problem I think I have with the game, which is uh, just mortal wounds as a concept. And I don't mind. Uh, well, not as a concept. I don't mind mortal wounds as an idea. But I find that the the way a lot of armies work is essentially too mortal wounds heavy. And the things about mortal wounds is just it's automatic, and the other person again is not interacting with it. And often it's just like you get a unit to some place and it sets off its bomb, and then okay, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> and then um, you roll. One person gets to roll loads of dice, and the other person has to sit there and just take it. And I think there must be a better must be a better way <laughs> of creating yeah. those. those, those and then maybe that maybe that is something more equivalent to invulnerable saves because like mm. I, I suppose one one thing we have is we don't run, tend to run a lot. Of units that have mortal wound saves which do exist in aos yeah they seem it seems like the, there's a, maybe it's just the games we've played but it seems like there's there's such a an imbalance like mortal wounds are almost so important i tell you what a really interesting change would be hmm. um so we're, we're basically what we're doing now is sitting down to redesign aos <laughs> but so imagine we had our magic unified magic system change imagine if mystic shield was something that was kind of available to everybody hmm. like either in prayer form or in magic form but even so if Mystic Shield was not plus one save. Like a mortal wound save. Yeah, but it was like a five foot mortal wound save. Right. That could be interesting. Once a turn, one, one unit. Yeah. Casts on a five or a six. Like that would be interesting. Because there's interesting decisions to be made there. Because you, mm. you, you're seeing the retributors come in one way and you're seeing the formulators come in another way. Mm. And you're saying, well, well, what do I want to protect? You know, what maybe, maybe, I mean. Yeah, like I don't mind interactive if interactive was a turn ago and it was me prepping against this. Right. right? Yeah. Like, Cause you already do, the game already has that with inspiring presence, mm. which is the thing you use to protect your hordes from battle shock. Yes, like, yeah. which if I have two big blocks of troops, which one is he going to go for? Like I'll, I'll steer him into one by inspiring presencing the other. Like those are all choices. It's just that that doesn't exist for mortal wound spam. Right. The scale that it exists in the game yeah is that because i was like i bought the sylvaneth battle tome 
thinking that because uh, they are quite a technical glass cannon, glass cannon army with lots of interesting movement abilities and they can plant woods and teleport between them and stuff like that well actually looked at their damage output the way they actually do the damage is massively mortal wounds based mm. all this all the stuff the colonel hunters really do they've got very good weapons but they're doing automatic mortal wounds all the time and the, i think mortal wound spam is is a negative player experience mm. just uh, fundamentally um, i think so it was automatic damage is a negative player experience. yeah yeah it was this is the exact thing that x-wing suffered for for a long time mm. it still does um automatic damage particularly when players have a chance to respond to it mm. is it's a bad feeling it's a bad feeling and it it's you know and it it puts too much emphasis on the defender to play perfectly to avoid it. Mm. Um, which is actually more possible in X-Wing than it is in AOS because AOS, everything is a bubble and it's hard to avoid a bubble, mm. right? Like particularly yeah. when, you know, the, the, the big, right. You're talking about 36 inch mm. spheres around a, or around a unit. Yeah. And, and for me, uh, a mortal wound attack doesn't have any character to it. I mean, this sounds weird, but, if you've got, so the Colonel Thanters have their scythes, the scythes are some of the, you know, best weapons in the game. They're slightly, but they're slightly dicey, mm. you know. They've got that D3 damage, you don't quite know what's going to happen with them really, you could have a duff turn with them and you have to bear that in mind. There's, there are interesting variables to that. Whereas a thing that just walks somewhere and then rolls a load of dice and does automatic damage isn't even a good experience. Yeah, I've always, I've always found that about the start of Saw Maces. Like, right. I can't imagine, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what they do. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's just, oh, you roll two dice and then it's just sort of automatic. I mean, the descriptions say that they just basically explode. They're just like, grenades on a stick and right. just like and just goes <laughs> like i can imagine a lot of the spells better mm. like i can imagine even bolt of zinch right like i can imagine a bolt of change magic consuming somebody yeah and it doing oh five mortal wounds okay right you've been really fucked up by it mm. where the kind of d6 roll is sort of like the the magnitude of the like we won't go deep on the skirmish game we played today but i got my uh d6 mortal wound blood boil spell off at my slaughter priest mm. on your branch witch and I only did two mortal wounds and that to me says Oh, it's interesting. You can get something fluffy out of that because yeah. it's like, you know, he's boiling her blood, but she's a tree. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, you know, whereas all the way, maybe she catches light if I roll a six, right? Like, you know, you can sort of, uh, with those kinds of spells or with the gaunt summoners rolling a, a dice for every model, even that, even, oh no, you can't do anything about it, but it's a roll dice for every model and every four up is a mortal wound. Mm. I can imagine the sheet of flame and, and the entire horde catching fire and, seeing how many people survive that kind of thing yeah but when it's like melee weapons that do mortal wounds on a six i find it a bit harder to mm. or, well actually actually even that i can maybe imagine maybe it's just star soul maces <laughs> it's just the fact that you don't roll anything else it's just <laughs> that what happens right yeah i feel like as soon as your entire weapon profile hit wound all the rest of it is just replaced with a roll this <laughs> mm. That's too, that's too, too far. Yeah. Yeah. That's too far. It's like you should have two things at least. Yeah. I guess we, I mean, we're playing two armies that are quite mortal wound specialized. That's true. And, but the silver there seems to be as well. And maybe other factions aren't, but surely everyone's looking to get those mortal wounds into their army. It feels like there's a bit too much of it in the game. Mm. And as, as I say, I'm not averse to it necessarily as a fun, like fundamentally some mortal wound stuff, but it feels like it's all throughout the game is basically it's your main damage dealing. You know, the way you really deal damage is through mortal wound output for a lot of armies. Um, yeah. So I changed that. Yes, that's reasonable. We'll mm. find out what more, more malign importance actually is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if, four days. <laughs> if you're playing AOS and you have any thoughts uh, or disagree with this, which I'm sure everyone does, um, then yeah, yeah send us an email. Actually, it'd be interesting to hear what people think. Yeah, like and a lot of this stuff is about like it's just about having more in- good interactive moments. Mm. 
I think. But without overcomplicating, that seems to be the difficulty with AOS, well, isn't it? You know, we'll, we'll get into this later when we talk about 40k, but like, we played a game where, so all Zinch demons in 40k have a four up and vulnerable save, mm. which sounds completely mad, right? But yeah. it didn't. No, it's fine. It's but fine. everything's designed to stick around longer in 40k, it seems to me, mm. like, than, than in AOS, where there's a lot more damage flying around, everyone shooting everyone, I mean, everyone shooting everyone in 40k as well, but, um, everyone can get shot at any time in combat or anywhere else in, in aos um yeah it just feels like it's a it's a differently paced game completely. true but like it felt like but that slower pace might suit aos that's what i'm saying I right guess. yeah it's like, interesting yeah um i'd love to play test some maybe we should play test some that sometime yeah yeah we'll just quietly redesign it <laughs> yeah. no matter we're, what we're playing our own edition now yeah. so we should talk about we're obviously gonna have a um so it's been christmas um we've been super busy i think both been super busy with work but, and uh, yeah, I've been away as well and Christmas travel and other things, which means that this hasn't been a tremendously busy hobby month for mm. either of us. Maybe it should be more like, um, what did you, what did you get for Christmas? Second? Well, so, um, I got the shades by skeletons. Hey. So they are in their box. Lovely. I love them. Yeah. Um, how about you? I got a bunch of AOS scenery. I own every piece of AOS scenery now. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> I've, uh, so I got, um, an Ophidian archway, believe it's called mm-hmm. uh which is enormous and I, I built that and i was i was really worried about building it because um, my friend chimp built one and it was it's just the biggest nightmare ever apparently the the plastic you the, the reason why they're relatively they're not cheap but compared to the size of the thing compared mm. to you know a, a unit um it's relatively cost effective games workshop and the reason is they it's a different type of plastic it's a different type of cast and that means that you can get kind of wrong ones that don't fit together very well so be prepared to go in with some green stuff and be prepared to go in and be mm. very very careful about gluing these um these aos terrain bits together um ha- having said that i absolutely love the way they look i absolutely love how over the top they are and how they've just in beautiful ornate carvings in them and stuff like that i mean absolutely joy to paint and it's gonna look amazing when it goes down on the table and the fitting that if archway is kind of massive and so i was there um for like three hours yesterday very carefully gluing it and it's basically doesn't need much green stuff at all it's come out beautifully and now uh we've got another massive terrain piece also got some baleful realm gates uh, which are very good fun because their rules allow you to teleport or try to teleport units between them if you have two of them on the battlefield so can i tell you something really broken that you won't let me do because that would be me <laughs> fucking up the kind of don't be a dick rule uh, go for it if i stand the gaunt summoner next to one mm. i can bring any demon unit i want through it every what the turn. fuck what like a lot of One, change yeah every turn <laughs> there must be some summoning lim- oh summoning points or yeah it's summoning i guess but it doesn't count as summoning because it just happens oh shit if the summoner is next if he's within nine inches of a realm gate yeah. a demon comes out of it you should just bring out like infinite pink horrors <laughs> just win how do you do horrors. that that's true but you know more more pink horrors <laughs> yeah exactly uh, i won't actually do that i mean that is probably the reason all this match play stuff that we've been talking about came into AOS. right because yeah people were just doing that necessary for an extent to an extent yeah. that's why that's what that is the gaunt summoner special ability that i've never used is if you're standing next to a wrong gate just bring anything through yep come on in <laughs> uh, i like the idea that if you try to teleport units between realm gates there's um a chance that they can just be lost or die and a bunch of them can so it's an interesting kind of risk reward and um you could build some fun scenarios around that rule as well mm. uh, so yeah they're, they're gonna be fun to paint up uh, so i've got those i've got um the uh, oh god what's the wizard's ball thing uh the numinous numinous oculum oculum i've got that and i've got uh, a blood nado which games workshop do not sell (laughs) well they sell in pieces you have to assemble it yourself cool various kits um what else did i get i got some spiked revenants um, oh cool more silver Earth. yeah more silver Earth, and you just get five in a box but uh and they're really cool models they're basically just all the wood elves 
um, from previous editions have fused into the trees now over the aeons that have passed. And uh, these particular ones have gone mad and uh, they're and really sadistic. They look like to torture their prey and they they, uh, they come out and they do loads of interesting rule stuff, which is one of the reasons why I asked for them. Because um, they're one of the few kind of units that debuff bravery in Age of Sigmar. Oh, cool. And, and stuff that they're near, like scenery they're near, becomes haunted and just freaks people out. <laughs> Really nice, really cool rules. Mm, uh, so I, I look at a, the way I'm building like um, the future force for AOS is not to put like really efficient stuff in, like not to put really deadly stuff in, but to put stuff that has the most interesting rules in, stuff that can make mm. things happen in the game. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting way to build an army, not like, mm. oh, how can I make this the most effective? But actually, how can I make this the most interesting and have weird new effects happening that we've not seen in the game before? Um, so that they'll certainly help with that. Um so, yep, that's going to be my painting for the next few months. I'm going to paint all myself and up. I've been working on my dryads. Got my colour scheme down. They seem fun to do. They are really fun because they're so forgiving. And you can just keep on putting detail onto them as much as you like. And mm. they keep on looking better, even though they didn't look bad in the first place once you dry brush them. And which is like the ideal beginner army, really. If you want to just run loads and loads of dryads, that's a great kit. Really good price for it as well. I think it's like 20 odd quid and you get like, 16 models or something and they're big sizable fun models to paint and you can go into go to town with the detail if you want to uh so yeah i'm, I'm lo- loving myself an f and i'm working my way through mechanical hunters as well which are quite hard to paint actually mm. so i start at the beginning of the month i started on project zangor which is the next uh, phase yeah. for my zinch army yeah. which when, when, that's, when that campaign resumes it'll be with that so they're mortals right Yes, um, this is the mortal thing. G- given that a Slaves to Darkness refresh isn't completely unlikely at the moment, mm. um, so I started off, um, but I'm taking my time with them, by which I mean I've built five. <laughs> and that's partly because this is what I did, and I got hugely distracted by other things, but I'm taking time converting, like I'm spending time on them. So I was really, I've been really impressed by the kit. Like, like the Sangor kit is fucking great. Mm. Like, and I bought three boxes of them because I'm going to do 30. Yeah, wow, awesome. And it's going to take a long time. Oh my to God, them. that's going to be really fun. It's a big project. But like, I think that'd be really fun because you haven't fought me with no. an army where you have to avoid no. the, the death ball. And like with the new rules for like, um, horde point values, mm. I did some test rolls because I'm a nerd. And I think reasonably a block of 30 Zangor can fight 20 prosecutors despite mm. costing half as many points. Nice. Like, and that, that feels like, That'll make, and again, it's the same sort of thought process. I think that'll bring something interesting to our games. I think me having a melee thing mm. that you can't ignore. Yeah, I've never really had, had to face that. And like, each. that can take, um, Stormcast on toe to toe is going to be really interesting. Mm. But I want to make them look good. So I, I still want to paint them relatively quickly, but not sort of. So I'm going to change some things about how I do siege. I'm taking this as an opportunity. I'm taking the gap between our campaigns as an opportunity to change up our color schemes and things. But I also want to do some conversions. So, um, and, and like, so, cause I want to do things, not like power game things, but like, it makes sense when, uh, you have like a champion. So there's not, in AOS rules, you have like, you know, champions and standard bearers and musicians, you also have special weapons. Yeah. It often makes sense for your champion to be carrying one of the special weapons, like the judicator with the shock bolt bow, like yeah. that kind of thing. So I wanted my, um, Zangor champion to be holding a double handed weapon, but the double handed weapons in the sculpts are relatively static. Like there's two of them. There's a double-handed axe and a double-handed sword, and they're both specific arms because of the way they're held. So they kind of kind of look similar. And I wanted to make it clear this guy's the champion. Mm. So I've done a bunch of conversion work that I'm still working through. I probably won't put any pictures with the post because it's I need to do some green stuff and the rest of it. Um, using bits from the uh, Skyfire kit, 
uh, because I'm going to build all of my Skyfires as Skyfires with the enlightened pieces left over. Mm. But one thing that's really cool that I didn't know they'd done is the Zangor pieces across both of the kits, the Zangor kit and the enlightened slash Skyfire kit are completely cross compatible. Oh, cool. Um, they're all the same scale. The, the, the Zangor are actually the same size. It's just some of them send on discs and the others don't. Yeah. Uh, which means that you can move some other stuff up across. So I've taken, like this head with a really cool crown of feathers and like a mohawk because Zangor stuff mm. and put that on one of the on foot Zangor as yeah. to make it more clear that he's the champion used the arms and haft of the axe, but taken one of the Zangor enlightened spearheads that looks like a flame um, and green stuffed that uh, with a pinned it and then green stuffed the gap to kind of create like, so my champion is now carrying a spear and pointing it forward in kind of an aggressive way, which is going to look really cool when he's in oh, the yeah. front of the unit, I think. Cool. And I'm going to do the spear tip because it looks like a flame and like a kind of green flame effect, mm, which nice. kind of brings him back into the ties him in with the demons yeah. and everything else that's happened in the army. So, yeah. But, and then I'm doing, um, the other type of special Zangor is a Zangor mutant, which is weird because they're already mutants. They're basically right. double mutants at this point. Yeah. Um, and they, there's various rules. The, actually, the Zangor special unit special character and special weapon rules are too complicated like i had to do a spreadsheet and it, at <laughs> oh, the point no. where you have to do a spreadsheet to figure out because yeah, unlike they don't you don't pick a, a loadout for the unit you pick a loadout per model hmm. with certain proportions and when you figure it out it's not that complicated hmm. but it's too complicated <laughs> for what it is but it means that all of the guys i have who are dual wielding need to be mutants in some way and the mutant kind of piece they give you in the kit is a Zangor whose head is splitting in half mm. into like two screaming halves. Nice. It's a great piece, but I don't want all eight of, hang on, how many are I running? Six. All six of the mutants to be exactly the same. Yeah. And I also wanted like for various reasons. I wanted the Hornblower to be a mutant because it ties him into the other three layered rules that that goes into. <laughs> the, the kit is a little bit, the rules are mad, mm. but so what I've done is taken pieces from the pink horror kit um, and kind of tied them in. So I'm giving extra arms and things to like yeah, nice. angle to kind of tie them in. But also a lot of the pink horror hands are the hands that are on fire. Mm. So I'm doing that. So like certain of the Zango have like flaming hands and things, which is going to make them, I think hopefully stand out from other people's Zango, but also gives a different spin on what it means to be a mutant when you are already a bird man. <laughs> Right? Because yeah. that's an interesting question to have to answer. And so being on fire is the next stage <laughs> yeah. of being a mutant. You're too mutant. I've decided. Right. Or <laughs> exactly. yeah. well, like becoming more demon, basically. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, like part of them is being kind of pulled into that. So that I started working on that. Um, but then I, I got pulled away and literally that like one thing I found is that I've been pulled from like big project to big project. Mm. Like even um the Shades by Warbands, which I did relatively quickly we're still like painting a group of heroes, right? Take every model seriously, spend a lot of time on each one. And we got to, until two days ago, I hadn't painted anything this month at all. And I knew we had skirmish coming up. So I just decided like, I, I thought I'd sit down and maybe like get a Sango test model done. Literally just so I had something to take a picture of for the podcast. Mm. But actually, um, what I ended up doing was we played our first skirmish game on, for the last episode. I knew we were going to play a new one. I knew, um, I didn't have enough models to get to the 32 points that we'd earned through the last game. So I thought I'll just paint two blood warriors from the, um, start collecting corn bloodbound box that, uh, you guys got me when I left PC gamer. Mm. I ended up painting three 
um, because I a, a rules mess up. I painted one with a glaive, and I was like, oh, hang on, I can't actually use him. I'll do two dual axe guys instead. Yeah. Um, and then I also went to Geodopdo to get um, some other stuff and picked up the um, speaking of terrain, the STC riser pattern ruins box oh yeah, which we played yeah. With today this is great which is great which mm. is that is a 17 pound 50 box of waist high cover basically mm. um it's super simple it's probably the simplest piece of terrain i've ever seen but it's great for what it is particularly given 40k's terrain rules so it is just a box that includes four walls four waist high walls four half size walls and two manhole covers which is actually quite a lot. Like you saw, well, you'll see pictures in the show notes of this episode, but you see how much space it actually covers. Yeah, it's, it's easy enough to fill out a four by four, I would say. Yeah. With it, and be interesting. Um, each is one piece on the sprue. Mm. There's no gluing. It's just clipping them off the sprue. Cool. All I did was uh, spray them silver with lead belcher, wash them with agrax earth shade, which is a lot of agrax earth shade actually to get through, and then dry brush them with necron compound. And I did that while painting some of the models in the course of a day. So it's only a couple of hours work. And we ended up with like a decent amount of 40k specific terrain. Mm. You can do a lot more detail. There are, there's a lot of detail that some, in some cases, those, those pieces of plastic are actually unusually bare. Mm. I don't know if they feel unusually bare to me because they are depicting like metal walls and things. You know, yeah. flat surfaces don't exist in AOS. That's really true. Um, but there are like control panels and things embedded on them that you could certainly. Mm, you to pick it all out. You could. Yeah, there are cables and things you could pick out and that kind of thing. Yeah. I've literally just sprayed them, washed them and dry brushed them. But actually for the amount of time you spend looking at them in the course of the game, definitely they Talk work up. really nicely. So that was a really nice thing. And the other thing I did was paint those three, um, blood warriors and I was surprised by how quickly I got through them. Mm. Like I assembled them on Friday, sprayed them Friday night in the dark, which was a weird experience. <laughs> um, and then by 10 o'clock this morning, I had three painted to a standard that I'd kind of like. And that's partly that was an experience in like one, I'm getting faster Two. Holy shit, some sculpts are easier than others, right? Yeah, so these sure. are like heavily armored corn warriors. I found them really fun to paint and also proof of the color scheme that I've been developing for corn for a long time. Mm. But because I've mostly done Reavers or the Slaughter Priest who's topless, like I sort of envisaged it as being something that would look good when they're heavily armored. Mm. And it does look a lot better when they're heavily armored. So it's bronze and silver. So it's, so it's deep, dark bronze mm. and silver trim rather than the kind of golden red of traditional corn yeah. with flaming weapons. Um, and it was just really fun to do like pretty quick and, and like no real tips to emerge from it apart from like, um, sometimes things are good enough quick. That, that was one thing I learned actually, cause I was just doing them good enough quickly. So it was the experience of painting only a couple of units. Like I would paint a whole box cause I've tended to have two settings, basically super detail spending hours on every part. Yeah. And batch painting shitloads. And this was like batch painting three, <laughs> which was great. It was really relaxing and really fun and really pleased with the result. So mm. kind of just, that's awesome. Yeah. Just a completely positive experience. Mm. But what it's made me think, um, is that, uh, we played another game of skirmish, which we should get to in a moment. But every time we play skirmish, we each gain a certain amount of points. And it's not loads. It's like a couple of models yeah. or like, one big model and one small model. 
So with my corn stuff, because it's sat there on the side, all I want to do every month is paint just enough for the next skirmish game. Mm. And I'll put aside like a day a month just to paint whatever it is. So I've gained 12 points in the last game, um, which doesn't say anything about who won um, because the game was mad. Um, and that will probably get me like a blood crusher and another blood warrior. Nice. So I might just get those two things. Mm. And so I'm going to put like a, a day aside a month to paint one thing. And because previously I've been so project based and so batch based that I would like never have done one of the blood crushers, which is like the mounted corn warriors mm. without doing all of them. But I quite like the idea to do one because you've made some progress then. You do the next thing. Yeah. And because you use it straight away, you use yeah. it skirmish. It's not just sitting around the rest of the unit. Yeah. And we're enjoying hard. skirmish. Yeah. It's great. That'll lead to path to glory. Maybe like yeah. as your skirmish, as your, um, Sylvaneth become more numerous and my corn kind of builds out mm. and then we've gained these second armies and yeah. they're kind of just there. Lovely. So that was really nice. Um, oh yeah, the other thing. So this is kind of mad and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. So, um, I went home over Christmas to my parents' house and my dad had dug out another box of Warhammer from the garage. Yeah. And I didn't realize there was anything else to find. It turns out what was left to find was my shame pile. <laughs> right. So when I, what the stuff I brought home last time was like everything I painted as a teenager and there was stacks of it, but it was all like terribly painted Katachan jungle warriors mm. and, bad dwarves um turns out i had quite a lot of stuff i didn't get around to painting when i was a teenager mm. as you inevitably do yeah so i've gained the seeds of like quite a lot of different things like i've got a shitload of like late 90s era plastic lizard men they're still on sprue in some cases <laughs> nice so there's loads of source warriors and yeah snakes. i remember um, painting those yeah um like decent number of orcs and things but the nuts thing I didn't, I'm surprised I didn't mention this earlier. Mm-hmm. I've gained like a 1300 point Skaven army. <laughs> Just found it in a box. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. A metal Skaven. Oh army. God. Metal ones. God, they must be old. They are old. And so I'm a bit torn because so what I've got is 40 Skaven slaves. Right. Which is a completely discontinued model. They have <laughs> right. rules in AOS and the rules are actually really cool, mm. but they can be discontinued. Um, 15 gutter runners also discontinued. Well, not discontinued, but like, you can't buy them easily. I think night runners are easy or you get build man that run. Okay. I don't exactly know how it works. Mm. Um, at 10 plague sensor bearers, queek, skrulk, mm. um, two assassins, a, and I found a slave driver and enough rats to make enough rats to make rat swarms or wolf rats <laughs> and like bits of a doom wheel. Oh, well, and if I find it all, it's like it's about like 1500 escape an army. So part of me was tempted to just like, Screech hard left. Suddenly, I'm Skaven now. I'm Skaven now. Chaos. Which I'm still thinking about doing because they would be so easy to paint. Yeah, they would. They'd be so easy to paint. The rules are quite fun as well. I just spray them brown and then wash them and then dry brush them. And there's so many of them. And the rules would be fun. It would be very different. I guess you'd have to rebase them all if they're on squares. Yeah, but they're in square slotter bases and they're lightly super glued. So they'll come out of there dead easily, snip slotter bases off, put them on 25 mil bases. Yeah, jobs are good. the, obviously the poses are super old school <laughs> yeah it's old school skinny skate total two-dimensional just kind of like mm. rushing sideways there's a sort of retro thing about that that appeals there's also the side of it that like because i remember that i had this and i remember when i got the first box back i was like where are all the skaven because <laughs> that's just the army that i played with the most apparently i just didn't paint it <laughs> right. and in my like it was 15 years ago or more and like my memory of this is that i had like a skaven army and i sort of assumed it had to have been painted mm. But no, I was a lazy person. <laughs> we just put them all down in cold metal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So not even undercoated. So, which is actually great now because mm. there's nothing to strip off. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a bit torn 
I'm a bit torn because I don't want to add to my shame pile. Mm. And it is like adding 70 models to my shame pile all at once. Feels like, you know, give them what they are. Okay, rebasing might take a bit of time, but it's a couple of weekends work if you really did go proper, you know, just dip it, dry brush it, get it on the table. Yeah, yeah. My other, my thought is I could try and find them a new home. Like, mm. sell them, basically. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, given that a lot of these models are quite hard to find, like, mm. it's a, it's an interesting choice, because a lot of these metal, like, if you want to go buy metal Skaven slaves on eBay, they're like three quid a model. Mm. Well, and I have 40 of them. Woo. <laughs> That's a, a, any army you want, basically, once you've cashed that. Well, yeah, or it's like, just something else, right? Like, pick up some terrain or something like that. Like, yeah. So it, it, it's not something that I've decided what I'm going to do with it yet. It's a really cool thing to find. Like genuinely what I might do is sell it and put the money towards a present for my mum who genuinely bought it in the first place. So it might be one of, <laughs> you know, or who will have done, you know, many years later, of birthdays and Christmases decades later between the later. years of like nine, 2001 and 2002 or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's my, you know, that, that might be what I'd end up doing with it. Yeah. But it, it was a cool thing to discover. Yeah. Like, it's quite, I quite like, yeah. I quite like the idea that, um, maybe I'll show up with a super retro looking Skaven on. <laughs> Other than that, it hasn't been a spectacularly busy. Have you had a chance to play much? No, I really haven't. Um, cause I've just been out, out of town for the whole duration. Uh, so I've not been able to play, uh, not really be able to paint very much stuff. Uh, I got some orcs as well. I got the orc warband for Shadespire. Oh, cool. So, I, so we're, are we both four for four now? Yeah, we're both four for four. So I've got all the cards, got all the rad models. I haven't built my skeletons yet, but I've, um, certainly put the cards into use. <laughs> yeah, there's some nice ones in the orc deck, actually. Uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward we should play, play again maybe next month or whenever you like. Well, there's a event coming up at the end of the month. So ah. I'm going to go to my first Shades Pie tournament. Very good. That's exciting. I'll tell you when it is. Maybe yeah. I should come. Yeah, maybe I should come. All right. We should talk about what we've been playing. We should. Playing today, in fact. Yeah, indeed. We played a game of Skirmish, the next in the campaign, and a game of 40k. And both were great. They were. Had a great time. They were really good. And that's very positive. And that's why we got through so much beer. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely afternoon. Yeah. Good way to send off the year. So the Skirmish game, we're not going to dwell on just simply for reasons of time. Um, but it was, it was super interesting because <laughs> you, we both threw a kind of quirk. Or you won the first game. But, and that got you, uh, I think, eight extra points, but you chose to save them. I did. So you came into this game with exactly the same Sylvan Earth that you played the first time, so that's Bradwich, two Dryads, two Wanderers. That's it. That's it. Um, I got fewer points. I think I got six because of losing, Mm. but then got two on the rewards table. Yes, I think that's right. So we both got came out with eight. I spent them on the two... Lovely Blood Warriors. Yeah, looking rad. Which meant that this game was functionally 32 points against 24. Yeah, I felt quite outnumbered to start with. Because you really were outnumbered. Because I was outnumbered. As Swords of Priest, four Reavers, two Blood Warriors. Yeah. And this was the scenario that we've talked about in the podcast before. Really good scenario where you have to search different ruins to try and find treasure. And when you find treasure, they become capture points. Mm. And it was just mad <laughs> basically yeah. like so my my plan from the beginning of the game was just to charge you because i had the numbers advantage yeah definitely. and the one way to win a major advantage is just to kill everything oh yeah and i'm corn maybe it would just kill everything <laughs> maybe i could just kill everything and then the problem is solved that's right who cares about treasure we try and treasure later skulls first skulls first treasure later exactly um what actually happened was i kind of mad scrap in the middle of the board yeah where the branch witch and the slaughter priest wailed on each other turn after turn after turn 
neither killing the other. Like, you had a healing item from a previous game because of your victory in the first game that helped you carry on. Yes. I had miracle saves that helped me carry on. Mm. And I, you know, Targor managed to do something, bless him, charge off, capture an objective, kill a wanderer. Yeah. It was really kind of like, I was, I think I was pretty sure I was going to win. Until, and I'm going to get to this point in my notes, and I appreciate what's giving through this. I just wrote B's. In all caps. The bees happened. I mean, it, your fourth turn. Yeah, it took me a while to get, get the bees out. Uh, <laughs> because it's a spell that the branch witch casts, which we've covered on a previous episode as being just <laughs> patently broken and fucking garbage. nuts and Yeah. Shit. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you're outnumbered, I'll, I'll, I'll let off some bees if, uh, you need to. And this game is actually probably the best quote of the day, which was, rest in bees. <laughs> uh, and many of them did. And So yeah, the bees detonated in a nine-inch explosion, because you rolled a nine and I failed to dispel it. That's right. And uh, the number of dice you, uh, the, the value of the dice you roll to cast it is the number of dice you then roll per u- unit. Within that range. Within that range. No, so it's, it's always within nine, isn't it? Yeah, so it's each individual within nine will get hit by the casting value yeah. worth of dice. And each, um, when you roll that nine dice, you know, each six is a mortal wound. Go back to the mortal wound point. So and we'll, we'll, I'll put some pictures in the show notes, but we literally had a, like a one health branch witch <laughs> surrounded by two blood warriors and a slaughter priest. Yeah. My guys fanning out to capture objectives in different parts of the map. And then just an explosion of bees that killed both blood warriors didn't kill the Slaughter Priest by miracle. Yeah, that was exceptional. Killed Targor, who's on one of the other objectives, just slaughtered loads of them. And this left... So I went from a full warband, because you hadn't killed anything. Oh, no. I wasn't going to kill anything as well with my uh, uh, wonders. Three Blood Reavers in a single moment. One massive bee explosion. One weird trick. Slaughter Priest hate it. <laughs> um, it's yeah, bees. They're everywhere. After that, it was... Uh, we got some interesting roles on the objectives because you roll each time you're near enough to an objective uh, to investigate it and see if there's an artifact inside. And if you roll a six, it becomes an objective on the battlefield and a thing that you can hold and the person who holds the most by the end of the game mm. wins. And uh, two were activated fairly you know, on the opposite ends of the board. And Korn definitely had one and one Wanderer. Uh, Wanderers are crap, by the way, if you've not listened to many previous podcasts where I've described how bad they are. Uh, one Wanderer trying to hold... Uh, the other objective I ended up in a very interesting situation where uh, after the B incident uh, Chris you retreated uh, you hid behind one of the other hid behind a chaos fort which was one <laughs> of the objectives uh, and I was forced to kind of split my forces to try and you know, spread what I, what was left of my warband across two different points and, and I did a roll run for my dryad and the dryad could have gotten all the way back and outnumbered your one remaining kind of reaver on, on the left-hand side. And he failed to actually reach it. So he instead went halfway, stood on the middle point and rolled a six and just activated that as a... <laughs> it's like, because the middle point, been point. Fi- is where we had been fighting the entire, the entire time. time. Yeah. So it's like, oh, now that the bees have murdered everyone, there's treasure here. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, this glittery thing here. Uh, it was great. It was a very good swingy the best, game. The best moment was when, because I ended up with just, I, I'm referring to the Reavers by their names from Shadespire, but yeah. just Arnold <laughs> having to defend against the Branch Witch who should have been dead. Yeah. So the other thing is the blood, the uh, blood warriors whiffed every attack they, they made terrible. in three turns. Yeah, they're pretty they get, terrible. They though. have two hit, they have two attacks each, uh, three up to hit, mm. re-rolling ones, 
and you never had to roll a saving throw against them. <laughs> no, they completely just um, whiffed And then they basically just waved their arms in the air and then were eaten by bees. <laughs> yeah. That was what they did. Yeah. And I, yeah, but that's what you get when you speed paint something. <laughs> um, but Arnulf ended up, who was just holding an objective, minding his own business, ended up having to fight a dryad and the branch witch mm. at the same time. Oh, yeah. And I, I was like, okay, well, it's, and he got hit twice and he only has one health and a six up save. And it's like, okay, well, it's two sixes to stay in the game. And then just immediately rolled two sixes. <laughs> yeah. And then had to do a dance around the room. He, was, did, he died immediately after this he, happened. He did, but, like, but that was pretty amazing. He had the chance to strike back. And also, there was a, a very good battle shock because you know battle shock is is fatal in. Uh, oh yeah, I rolled a one on the battle shock that should have wiped me out of the game. Yeah, so, it was, so after the bees, you after kind of, the bees, yeah. after the bees, you expect the battle shock to kick in, but uh, they were obviously in the zone somehow. Yeah, they? only a one would have got me through that battle shock from, yeah. uh, with no casualties, yeah. and yeah. So plus, I think you just lose if you lose your backup battle shock in skirmish. So the mental so, thing about this, if you're following the the skirmish campaign, um, is that so you so you won a major victory mm. despite having like two thirds of the points yeah. going into the game. Mm. That's what bees do. That's <laughs> secret armory bees. That's the power of bees. I've about 10 power in bees. As Huey Lewis in the news once sang, <laughs> that's the power of bees. The power of bees. Um, that spells fucking nuts. <laughs> it was just- oh, it's, it's totally broken in skirmish. No doubt about it. <laughs> I, but the thing is like, broken. like the, the fight between the sort of priest and the branch, which went on so long and mm. either of them could have died sooner. Yeah. It was really dramatic. It was yeah. very dramatic. Um, Can't believe he survived the bees as well. A worm survived. bit him as well. That was good. <laughs> a worm bit him in the face, and then he went completely mental <laughs> and took like four yeah. reads off her. He went home. Um, um, it was a very good game. It was really. So good the nice thing is, you got like a shitload of points for the major victory, mm. but then I rolled two sixes on the reward table. Yeah, and immediately got me six bonus six points. points. You might so as well both win. on forty-four points for the next game. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? And uh, I, yeah, so I'll be bringing a Colonel Hunter. Who um, might also be a little bit broken in his skirmish. We'll see how they <laughs> so do. So he, let's see what you can do with an equal points. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, a bit only busted. a ring of blood crusher. Nice. And its only job is going to be to chase the branch with <laughs> <laughs> round and round and round before yeah, exactly. the bee thing happens. <laughs> I don't want the bee thing to happen again. <laughs> I'm really glad I have a dispel. I'm really glad I have the sort of priest, not a different hero. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, that would feel really uninteractive. Yeah. The reason it took me so long to get off was because um, uh, it was. Dispelled once, and I think no, I failed. It you just failed the first time. Oh, did I just, you just it? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's casted value of five, so you're kind of odds on to get it. Uh, that's nuts. I know, I know. It's quite good, isn't it? But you roll per unit, right? Not per. Right, yeah. So in the, in the main game, it's, you know, soft considerably. But, you know, uh, a unit, a hero is still a unit. So it's still a pretty great spell yeah. in, um, the main game as well. Yes, please to the bees. But that, that was our game of skirmish, which was ace. Yeah. But we're great kind com- of motoring past it for time reasons. Mm. But yeah, also partly because, it comes down to the bees. Yeah, that was that was the story. So then we decided to play a game of 40k with the new train that I'd painted and mm. everything else. And what we set up, um, I thought it looked great. I was really pleased with it. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Um, because obviously we're kind of, we've got sort of uh, rough and ready 40k armies at the moment. Neither of us mm. are really done with prepping for this. No. So um, I brought my thousand sons from 30k, mm. um, who I am running in 40k as Chaos Space Marines, with the idea that they're not really Thousand Sons, that they're sort of um, pretender renegade Astartes, basically. Yeah. Zincha lined Astartes, but not Thousand Sons. Yeah. Um, so the Aramon model is a sorcerer, that kind of thing. Kind of have the idea that they are sort of Zincha lined heroistic Astartes that, um, be- you know, believe themselves to be like the Zions of Prospero, right? right. Like kind of mm. avenging sons but not Gilliman, who is the literal Avengers. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I know what I mean. Um, and, you know, maybe they are defecting 
um, blood ravens or something like that who believe they've discovered something about their heritage, that kind of thing. Mm. That's the kind of the idea I have for using oh, the 40k. Yeah. Um, with a bunch of demons for 58 power level. Yeah. And you had your Iron Hands, Primaris. Yeah. Um, some Space Wolves. From the burning of Prospero's Yeah, so you, who we were thinking of as like Space Wolf veterans that kind of led mm. maybe Demon Hunters and some Sisters of Silence. Oh, yes. Of uh, 55 points. So mm. you, I was slightly ahead of you. Um, and we played open play in the scenario, kill the courier. Hmm. Uh, so, sorry, using, sorry, not open play, I mean open war, using the open war you, cards. The cards. To, the, yeah, you draw to randomly generate a scenario. And, yeah. So we ended up with a kind of mad chevrons shaped deployment where we could each put a model in the middle of the board, but there was like a kind of expanding triangle behind that mm-hmm. um, with an objective called kill the courier where we each nominate a model that can't be our warlord and the first person to kill that model wins. Hmm. Um, I sort of, so the way we'd set up the board was like a sort of series of ru- like metal ruins, like sort of 40k era kind of, uh, bases surrounding a kind of more arcane looking ancient ruin. Hmm. And I kind of see this as in my head, this was like a sort of destroyed imperial base surrounding a kind of, um, profane heretical ruin yeah. that had been. <clears throat> maybe discovered by both sides at the same time. Mm. And my kind of headcanon explanation for the kill the courier was that maybe both, because you chose your Primaris ancient yeah. standard bearer and I chose my Terminator captain. Mm. Um, the notion that maybe both of them had taken something from the ruin and having them both having taken something was what was kind of unleashing demons and Lots stuff. Of demons. Yeah. But you know, whoever can kill the other one first can, reclaim and either seal or fully open this chaos warp plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had a really interesting point where you had like a kind of gun line behind cover and I had my guys kind of behind cover, my, my, so my chaos space Marines behind cover at the back, but with a sort of phalanx of demons up front because demons in 40k, siege demons in 40k work very differently. Yeah. They're much more keen to get up close and personal. They're crap in combat, but every siege demon has a four up and vulnerable save. Yeah, very tough. Which means that, like, they take a while to bring down. Mm. Like, they're not, they don't fold me. Like, they really, you really have to focus fire them, take them down. Yeah. So my plan at the start of the game was to throw the demons at you and do as much damage as possible. And then... Um, follow up with the Marines and just sort of burst through the tattered remains. Cause you kept your inceptors, which are the jetpack assault bolter primaris in space. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure I had like a bubble around the terminators at all times mm. so that, cause I, I could have deployed the tel- the terminators in a teleportarium, but I chose to keep them on the ground so that they, I could choose the captain as right. As the, the actual, uh, as the, as the courier. Yeah. Uh, which in hindsight might be a mistake, but like, that's what I've done. Hmm. What was your plan from the beginning? Um, well, it was simply to create a kind of fire base and space Marines don't have a huge number of options with the Primaris don't with what I had anyway, but they do have options. If you've got like repulsive tanks and that sort of thing, they've got some fast attack. Uh, but with the, I had five Primaris intercessors who are just kind of basic space Marines with bolt rifles mm. and I had some lead ships. So I had, um, the ancient stood right behind them. The 
captain, their captain stood right behind them and their lieutenant stood, stood right behind them as well. And if you're within those overlapping six inch buff bubbles, you get to re-roll hits and you get to re-roll wounds when you're shooting with um, your primary space marines. So basically they're just, just sort of castled up like you would on a chessboard really and just sort of sat in the corner there. Um, and, just waiting to get rapid fire opportunities which is when they actually start to get the dice to really start doing damage and uh, primaris also have one ap or end as it's known in aos uh, which is quite useful on the other side uh, the space wolves held the other flank and the center indeed and they both took cover as well they had um i was using uh is it Gygor, is that his name uh the hero from the uh, Pros- prospero box set as their captain so those are two separate kind of little forces of space marines working together um and they were also like to the back and to the left and setting down like a, a fire base um then way up front and we were talking earlier about how the fact that you know the, the deployment zones meet at points right in the middle of the battlefield i decided to put my sisters of silence right up there just right next to the center of the board uh inside those those ruins which is also where the a huge number of pink horrors were already deployed so i just kind of like stood them up face to face with the pink horrors and at the very beginning of the game look at the shadow notes because they looked fucking around <laughs> yeah just it basically meant that all the space marines were hiding behind a wall mm. like 20 feet away and five sisters of silence just held the, the line yeah. in the center of this chapel basically and it felt so right for them and it, i did it because i knew it looked cool and also because it, it is good because they've got this aura that debuffs spells and that kind of stuff which uh turned out to be useful uh but the, there's the simple this the the mental image of them being so fearless which they are they're so completely fearless they're just so in, infused with uh you know love for the emperor that they just don't if they die, they don't care. And they'll just, they'll just, all they want to do is destroy this corruption with their own massive, massive swords. <laughs> uh, so they, they went straight to the heart of the battle and the, the, the space marines gave them covering fire to an extent while they, they, they were hopefully to try and battle through. Yeah. It was, it was kind of, um, you know, I stuck on some music, which we've been doing for the last couple of games we played, which I, <laughs> yeah, I really, I, cause it creates, you know, it's more about the cinematic moments. And mm. this was a game of really good cinematic moments. It was. So you won the first turn. I did. And you shot guns. That's what, yeah, that's why I took the first turn basically to get every round of shooting. And that's when I think you learned that the four up and vulnerable safe on all Zinch demons is actually kind of pretty darn good. It is. And also, um, just shooting at the limits of your range with, uh, like space marine bolt rifles when you don't have rapid fire is also you just lose a lot of your power straight away, which is interesting for space marines. Like they kind of need to be within that kill kill zone to actually really unleash mm. the, the, their armory uh, but yeah you're right i poured a load of fire into the pink horrors and um it did not do a lot at all because yeah they you killed tough. two yeah i think yeah so they can as, as well if, if they roll a one on their battle shocks they can come back as they do an aos as well so that's the, always the fear uh and they, they are very very tough and a very different type of unit uh everything mm. just seems tougher in 40k actually yeah it was but, interesting because uh, it felt more like it was a little bit like, cause I saw the amount of dice you were rolling and yeah. like, okay, that's a dead pink horrors. Cause like mm. if, if it was judicators doing that, <laughs> right, yeah. that's like half the unit gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually in 40k, it was like, oh, hang on. These are like a screening unit. Like mm. these are, and it felt a bit more themey as well. I kind of liked that about it. I felt like you had that moment of shooting into this sort of illusory horde that is not behaving according to the physics you understand. Right. It's kind right. of getting out of the way constantly. Yeah. And then, of course, the uh, Sisters of Silence waded straight into the uh, the pink horrors right in front of them and started to do some damage. So you got like amazing wound rolls, but because um, damage is per model, not per unit, yeah. in 40k, you just completely carved up two horrors. <laughs> right, yeah. 
Um, initially, that, I thought you'd kill seven of them. Man. Yeah, so in AOS rules, it would have been, they would have just like, I quite like that about AOS to an extent, like the idea that uh, units in close combat with enormous swords could cleave in half multiple pink horrors. Mm. Um, whereas in 40k, they, a unit of five sisters could only kill five things. Uh, so that they're kind of, they're better against bigger demons perhaps if they're going to be chopping down stuff that has like loads of high, high wound counts because well, doing... it's no they could kill more than that it depends on the number of attacks they get uh, it was because what it, uh, the yeah. reason it was it's because two attacks ultimately went through right and they were d3 damage each so this one and you got six each. damage on two. that's true because yeah, it was six wasn't it so you got two you got six damage mm. but it ended up being three damage per horror yes correct because yeah. they had three attacks each so they could have all killed everything mm. but it's just yeah that's true Turns it's out just the damage works. value yeah um, but they yeah they totally messed up two horrors and uh yeah yeah and didn't survive in return uh my first turn i just started moving everything forward because like I, because the, the, I sort of figured the sisters were held up in the middle of the board. I just thought I could run past them mm. with everything else. Uh, shooting didn't do loads, um, because in cover, Marines have a two up save and yeah, nothing will happen. I killed like two people yeah. basically with shooting. Um, but what I did do was I sort of moved my horrors up. And then I thought, actually, I'm going to, ho- I'm going to charge my other group of horrors into the, mm. Actually, no, I, I, well, I'm skipping ahead. I should talk about what happened in the psychic phase because mm-hmm. not a lot happened in the psychic phase. <laughs> yeah. Because sisters of silence are a huge pain in the ass, but even sisters of silence don't stop a herald of zinch <laughs> from perils of warping yeah. on the first casting roll of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. So my first act in the psychic phase was to deal two mortal wounds to myself. Yeah. Um, Warp's a dangerous place. It is a dangerous place. Even if you're a demon, apparently. Apparently, yeah. That's where you live. I suppose accidents happen at home. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> exactly. Very true. Um, you know, uh, so, yeah, that was good. Um, smite failed because, so even though all the pink horror units can attempt to cast Smite, uh, one thing that's really interesting about the Sisters of Silence, so the Sisters of Silence give you a bubble where it's minus one to cast. Mm. Um, horrors cast um, on 1d6. So, and Smite is on a five. So they have to roll six if, if, if sisters are nearby. Yeah. Also, we were using the beta rules, which is every time you subsequently try and cast Smite, it gets harder by one. Yeah. So that means only the first one is even possible. Second problem is that Smite targets the nearest unit and Sisters of Silence are not affected by spells. No. Which I take as they absorb it. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't just go off on someone else. It goes on them mm. and then doesn't do anything. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. So it meant there was this 18-inch bubble around the center of those sisters' hearts holding the center of the bub- board where mortal wound spells just don't do anything. They get sucked into that unit. Which yeah. maybe to talk about what we were talking about earlier, that's a perfect example of like interactive mortal wounds where it's like... Yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, shit. Like... Systems interacting to kind of negate that. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was like, I have to kill these. So I, I ended up uh, charging them with the pink horrors. Even though your sisters of science were armed with swords, they did have an Overwatch grenade. <laughs> they did. Called Psych Out Grenade. <laughs> Psych. Uh, yeah, so they, they threw a grenade in self-defense and it's, um, a D3 attack. So you roll, uh, D3, uh, and it, you roll, sorry, you roll a D3 and that's the number of attacks it makes basically. But things can only hit on a six if you're Overwatching. So I managed to get one hit off with a six, I think. And, but if you hit with a six with a psych grenade and you're targeting a demon, it's just a mortal wound straight off just because it freaks them out. Yeah. Just destroys them, the matter they're made of basically. And because I'm an idiot, I accidentally removed the champion of that. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, um, that was a good Overwatch grenade. In melee, both of the pink horror units that were engaged with the Chris, that with the, the Christmas, <laughs> the sisters of silence 
um, managed to kill one. So two yeah. of the Sister Silence died. But bear in mind, this is like two five power level units fighting <laughs> one four power level unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sister Silence were the fucking heroes in this game. I they loved were, watching them. They were amazing. The, I got a good photo, hopefully, that will end up in the show notes of just the Sister Silence standing on this kind of chaos <laughs> demonic circle surrounded by pink horrors. Um, but you killed enough pink horrors that turn that some of them ran away. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in AOS. No, their bravery of 10 means that you're never going to be really affecting them. They really held the line. And then obviously the turn went back to you because that's how it works in 40k. Yeah. Uh, this was the turn that actually I don't think lows happen because I think maybe things go a bit faster when it's, it's, it's interesting in 40k because people seem to live longer. Mm. But the turns seem to sometimes go a little bit faster because it's more logical to just hold position. Yeah. And especially once you've started to memorize all your weapons profiles, you're rolling everything pretty quickly. And space marines aren't, aren't going to be moving around very much. I didn't have any transports and they'd have been foolish to move out of cover, uh, with the army bearing down on them. So I simply like stood there and shot. Yeah. This is the turn that you shot at the flamers actually. Oh yeah. And this is, this is, I think this is the turn the mortal wounds really went off. Mm. Oh sorry, didn't, sorry, not mortal wounds. The invulnerable save really went off. Yes. Yeah. Cause, um, you were just firing, like you got your entire line of bolters, primaris, space wolves, everything just to fire at the flamers. Mm. And they didn't go anywhere. I think you lost one of them. One or two, I think, yeah. yeah. Just from the mortal wound save. I think it was, I think it was, there was one left by the end of it, but, um. But yeah, but like in, in yeah, AOS, like yeah, in the toast, committing toast, four yeah. units to shooting at them. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the four, it was an interesting feeling really, cause, uh, they were just sort of slow, slowly drawing closer. And I, I knew that they're very good in close combat. They've got a very good kind of short range attack and they're actually a very dangerous unit. So it's kind of a, an interesting, scary thing to watch them come close. And it felt like I had to focus fire to take them down uh, mm-hmm. in the end and still couldn't do it. Yeah. My plan at the start had been to buy time for my Marines to move up with the demons. Yeah. So this was still sort of working, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, and it was, it, so even you having to shoot everything with the flamers, mm. sorry, shooting everything at the flamers was kind of worth it. Yeah. I think. I think this so. was also the turn that, um, the horrors killed everyone except the sister superior. <laughs> yeah. So, which is kind of rad because basically she ended up stood on top of this like altar mm. in the center of the board surrounded by pink horrors. But because she was still there and this was your turn, that meant that my subsequent turn, my psychic phase, mm. She's still there doing her 18 inch, you shall not pass bubble. Shutting down the magic in the mm. surrounding area. Um, so I desperately wanted to cast Treason of Zinch because it works differently in 40k. In yeah. 40k, it basically gives me one of your heroes for a turn <laughs> for fighting. Which is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I really wanted to mind control Gygor <laughs> because obviously it wasn't Gygor, your captain, Space War captain, yeah. just because of 40, for 30k reasons. Mm. I wanted to mind control him and I wanted him to beat up the Primaris Lieutenant he was standing next to. <laughs> yeah. And to do this, I have to cast a spell on an eight, but because the Sister of Silence is still alive, that's a nine, and I'm going to roll a ten, mm. so that's off. And then I have to beat Guy Gore's uh, leadership on a, on 2d6, which is, and his leadership is nine. Mm. And I rolled an eight, and it was agonizing, because oh, I so really, close. really wanted him Could have been just, amazing. Yeah, just... I fucking hate Space Wolves. I hate Space Wolves. I'll, I'll say it. Yeah. I hate Space Wolves. Um, and I really wanted to mind control him and have him eviscerate the Primaris Lieutenant with his lightning. It would have been hilarious. <laughs> it would have been happen. funny. It didn't happen. At least I didn't mortal wound myself. That's what no, I said. That's true. Um, sort of shooting from my Marines managed to just sort of chip away a few more of yours, but like I was kind of, I should have, I don't know. I was sort of spreading my fire at that point and I don't think it was very efficient. I was kind of trying mm. to, uh, reposition. Um, However, I 
did finally manage to drag down the final Sister Superior uh, in combat with the horrors. But what a fucking stand <laughs> she Amazing. made. I mean, it she got like, like three or four turns, didn't she? And that unit, I mean, just like chopping away, you know, dozens of these little pink brats who wouldn't go away. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, by the time they had finished dealing with her, I only had like one pink horror unit left. That's true. Like, I mean, so that was actually, so that's actually skipping ahead a bit, but like they've been held up in the center of the board for so long. Yeah. This was the turn I did forget to charge, but my flamer uh-huh. and my herald. Yeah. That would have changed things a little bit. Maybe, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then your next turn was just cleaning up. Basically it was mm. just getting some shots in. Well, I was, uh, the thing is like you were moving within the, the deadly 12 inch, 15 inch, rapid fire range of um the space wolves of their ordinary bolters uh and the primaris of their you know improved rifle bolters um suddenly everyone's getting two shots instead of one and suddenly things start dropping quite quickly so uh the uh the flamer went down i believe uh i think he was taken down yeah you lo- i lost the flamer i lost the herald you lost the herald uh and then i i sort of moved up you also shot three horrors to kill one unit completely, I think. That yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, was, it was just cleaning up the stuff that was nearest to me, basically, and, but it was just sort of setting, resetting again, waiting for the next wave of zinc mm. stuff to get closer. Which it did. Yeah. Because now that the Sister Superior was dead, on my next turn I could afford to do warp time, which allows me to get a move in the psychic phase, mm. which meant that I could kind of uh, reconsolidate on the left-hand side of the board, my left, which is where your sort of Primaris Fortress was. Mm. Um, I was struggling a bit because I think in hindsight, um, given that the objective was to hunt one of your characters, I should have put the Terminators in a teleportarium and just taken a risk on which character I pick. Yeah. Um, because being able to drop behind you would have been a really interesting threat. Yeah. Um, that's not what I did. So, but like, so I ended up sort of charging forward, but because, um, warp time allows is a psycho spell, which went off, which allows me to, um, move a unit in the psychic phase as if it was the movement phase mm. i bolted one tactical squad all the way forward the one with the melter gun um so suddenly they haven't advanced but they are suddenly super close mm. to your primaris and the idea was to get them into combat move the horrors up as well to partially screen them from the wolves yeah my idea was get the horrors into combat with the wolves and get the um the, that first unit of tactical marines into combat with the primaris to mm. tie them up because I've got a lot of wounds to chew through before I can get to the Ancient. But then behind them is the Sorcerer, the Terminators, and the other tactical squad, or Chaos Marine squad, hmm. which I think will get to the Ancient within a certain amount of time. Yeah. Um, because you still had your Inceptors in space, but you otherwise lacked flexibility. So the idea was, I'm just going to punch you really hard now, hmm. like now that you've kind of softened up, been softened up by the other stuff. Um, however... Um, Shooting didn't do a lot. I think I killed like two Primaris that turn. Yeah. Um, but crucially, those tactical Marines failed their charge. Mm. Uh, which is, so that was, yeah, kind of a big deal because it meant that they were about five inches from the Primaris or six inches. Yeah, a little bit further, I think. I mean, it wasn't as, it was about an odds roll, I'd say. Yeah, I think it was about six inches. So yeah. you're right. It was about odds. Yeah. But, um, out in the open. Yeah. And then the next turn, which was your fourth, mm. was mental. <laughs> so this is um, 
the nice thing about having, I love to bring things down from space. Mm. To do it with Stormcast, to do it with space means I'll do it all day long. Uh, so I chose to bring down the three Inceptors, and uh, if you're not sure what these are, they're um, basically just incredibly heavily armoured uh, gun platforms that have an enormous uh, sort of chain bolter in each hand, and they actually they just come in from space. Like they're, they're in a giant spacesuit, they drop from a, a spaceship, and then they hurtle down and then use their thrusters to stop themselves from dying so that they can hover and then, you know, destroy destroy the enemy. Brought them down right behind my Primaris uh, castle. Which I just, I didn't expect you to do. Mm. I was keeping one tactical squad back to screen. Yes. Like, literally, prosecutor from space logic. Mm. Keeping a unit back to screen the Terminators. Yep. Which is, uh, which is sensible, but I, want, I knew that um, they've got one AP, which is good, considering the amount of dice they're rolling, but they don't have enough to solo take out a load of Terminators without getting battered, I think. And so I was always wary about actually going after the Terminators, even though I would have done it if, if you know, if, if the opportunity to arise, perhaps. Um, instead, what I wanted was to bring them down right behind all of my heroes and inside all of their buff bubbles uh, so that they were getting re-rolls of one to hit, re-rolls of one to wound. Uh, and because they they roll huge numbers of dice, they've got uh, two of these huge bolters each. So you're rolling six dice per thing. Um, so you're up to like 18 dice of re-rolling ones and threes to hit means that only you're only removing twos from the pile in both like to hit and to wound phases. So they just do vast amounts of damage. There's just huge amounts of a weight of dice with a little bit of AP is good enough to take out a lot of ordinary space means. <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> um, in a very kind of Zinchian twist, you killed nine tactical marines in yeah. a single shot yeah. with those guys. It, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> it was really good. So that, that unit that had been warp timed ahead mm. just got annihilated. And that guarantees that the remaining one will flee. Yes. Because of their leadership failure. Battle shock, yeah. And, um, and then, your Primaris Lieutenant, who'd been like momentarily seconded to the Space Wolves, mm. kind of melee focused Power Sword Lieutenant, also went completely ham. <laughs> he did. Charged into the horrors from the side, mm. and even despite their four up and vulnerable save, managed to kill all of them. Yeah, with his Power Sword, yeah. Yeah. That was, what a cool, that's a cool It was great. Well. Like, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was Because cool. I love the idea that like, your um, Sisters of Silence just held the line in the middle and bogged me down and mm. slowed everything up and made my spells less reliable. And they died for that. And then as I reached your line, suddenly, like, from space, just gun platforms. Like, I was expecting them to come down behind, but mm. they came down in front. And suddenly, yeah, yeah. a wall of fire. And I love I loved the idea that the, the Sisters were holding the line because the ship was literally coming into orbit like above like mm. yeah they weren't waiting they were they, they were racing to the rescue yeah and that this was the time and they just about made it and i i, I envision these buffs like it's so cool that um so uh the, the space marine lieutenants and captains uh they give the buffs these hit and wound buffs i like to imagine it as them just kind of beaming beaming telemetry data into their visors almost yeah yeah and uh, so i love the idea of the um these three inceptors coming down from space and suddenly receiving all this information like a total battlefield tactical mm. analysis where to hit weak spots and then just absolutely just obliterating a particularly because that unit had just sort of like warp forwards, forwards right yeah like, like that thing from the ring you know when you yeah. go through the television i see like, i see it that way with warp time forwards, right like yeah, time yeah. is just accelerated for them and not for you mm. 
and yet they get perfect telemetry data from their own men because they're so tactically astute that they, they can even keep track of this, you know, crazy Zinchin magic. Yeah, it was great. And I think particularly that it was the Iron Hands that kind of saved the day because the mm. wolves didn't do loads. No, they, they sort of rubbish. held. They held. They were a bit rubbish. Um, yeah. And that's the right way around. <laughs> they hate Space Wolves. So, um, like, but yeah, like that notion that then this sort of like precision fire from above just annihilates these Astarte. So we called the game after that because mm. partly for time reasons, but also partly because it was unlikely I was going to crack it. Would have been tough. Like yeah. I lost an entire, like, I had most like, of my stuff left. Huge chunk of my, mm. um, power value, like in one go, basically. Mm. Um, and I mean, that was like, I mean, so I, I can't remember exactly how many hits got through. I think it was like 13 hits mm. got through or something. And I failed like a lot. nine four up saves. <laughs> yeah. So that's enough. So it was sort of dicey, but like, it doesn't matter because it was such a cool moment. Yeah. It was like the right thing to happen. It wasn't mm. just like you fired a gun that had been there the entire game and it happened to kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was a badass kind of drop from space. And because I'd been, I had, you know, that, that had, um, affected me the entire game because I had been screening against it the mm. entire game. Yeah. And that was the moment where it came down, not where I expected with a shitload of rerolls. Mm. And that was like actually the worst place for it to be. <laughs> it wasn't behind me. Behind me would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. You had that covered. Yeah. That is, it was awesome. I, I, it was great. Yeah. The, it's interesting. I mean, it gets me excited about the collecting a space being on me again. I just can't at the moment because I've got too much AOS, but mm. it's, it's, I love uh, playing a game every now and then enjoying it. It was really fun. How different and, it feels. Um, it'd be really fun to do every now and then. Yeah. There's a kind of like, I don't know how much mileage we're going to get out of our kind of like janky, half legal yeah. armies yeah for sure definitely want to play more of it mm. we should do some questions sure our first question comes from drew who writes what are your personal miniature highlights for 2017 and what are you looking forward to in 2018 happy new year everybody drew hmm. uh paint painting wise uh my highlight was probably the vanguard hunters that i did which mm. turned out super well and was super super fun mm. to paint really nice mix of kind of textures on those models and i love the posing did a little bit of kind of uh, you know basing with them put, put them on rocks and stuff uh and i think that was the probably the unit i'm most proud of this year i would say mm. liked it i think for me it's lord of change oh, yeah. it's a really predictable choice but i worked really hard on that model mm. and like at least in things like armies on parade which is a really positive experience as well so um in terms of games, my highlight was probably the final game of the campaign we played just because I loved that the mm. Lord of Change died <laughs> in such a perfect way. Yeah, that was great. That was a great I think in terms of actual play. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's either that or the first game I played at Blackout against um, Sam, who's mm. Bottle, who's the guy who did the Hinterlands rules. Oh, yeah. Because um, that was just a really great game. It's so, all like the, the Griffin and... Is it Griffin? Yeah, it was the, it was the, the, Empire, it was the Lord, Empire Lord on yeah, Demi Griff. Or Griffin, just Griff, yeah. just Griff. So it's just Griff, just Griff. So it's Griff. Um, that was great. That was yeah. What was what would your gaming actual play highlight be? Uh, play highlight would also be the finale to um to that. Uh, as I kind of I, I love the Path to Glory arc as well as mm. well actually. Um, Path to Glory is really good fun. The skirmish through to Path to Glory is a very very satisfying way to play the game, and I had a really good time with it this year. Mm. Fighting lots of uh, lots and lots and lots of undead. What they're called? Ghouls. Ghouls. Flesh easy courts. Millions of ghouls. Tasty courts. What is next that you want to happen? Uh, yes. Yes, death. <laughs> death is what I want to happen next. Uh, I, I mean, I'm always going to be, have a weak point for Stormcast releases and, you know, take them, you know, probably always buy some new Stormcast ready. But I think, um, if I was going to switch up armies to a different kind of faction, a different grand alliance, it wouldn't be chaos. 
uh, not enough indestruction for me, but death is, mm. is, is, is what I want. Yeah, I think I'm looking forward to, I'm looking, for, actually, so I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is Shades of Fire organized play. Oh yeah. I really want to see how that pans out. Mm. I really want to do that and go to the things and try and win the plastic stuff. That's yeah, kind of what I want to do. Um, in terms of models, I don't know yet because mm. I'm so disinclined to expand my shame pile that yeah. I don't, I kind of don't want there to be like an amazing update to the Slaves of Darkness range that I feel like I have to have straight away. Right. Yeah. Um, not a bad thing if it happens, obviously. Of course. It's just on my self-control, but nonetheless. Hmm. Um, if otherwise, I'm kind of looking forward to getting my Zinch mortal army up and running. I'm kind of looking forward to how that feels. Like I will have a bunch of Skyfires and I hope that doesn't feel like a negative play experience. No, sure we hope. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Skyfires are very good. You they should have good things good. in your army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Might be interesting just playing with stuff that's good. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a good thing to do. Um, okay. Thanks, Drew, for that question. Next question comes from Fee, getting his monthly question in to mention monthly. He writes, hi to Zerthston and Tom Stormcast. Mm-hmm. It's close enough yeah. for jazz. He'll take it. This month's question is, how do you make sure your opponent is having a good time when the game swings against them? I had a game of 40k recently where I kept saving my disgustingly resilient saves, negating almost all of the damage put out by my opponent's Dark Eldar. He had put together a competitive list, and as this kept happening, I could tell he was pretty annoyed. Is there anything you can do to help the game feel less awful for the person getting diced? Thanks, Pete slash Fienya. <laughs> Just don't gloat, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think being sort of... There's a, definitely a line. Like, if you're too kind of apologetic about your dice, you can make it sound like you're accidentally diagnosing your opponent with, like, some kind of illness. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm very, I'm terribly sorry after all the six again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's an, there's a line where you, so I think dice are dice. And if you are good at acknowledging when you have been lucky, hmm. then it takes a sting out of when you're unlucky. Like, Dunning-Kruger effect maintains that you will always believe that when you roll well, it's because you're great. <laughs> it's not. It's because you rolled well. Mm. And if you can go, oh, I got lucky there, then it's hard to be annoyed, yeah. I think. Um, you know, I think if someone rolls like four sixes and goes, yes, I deserve that <laughs> because I'm great, then that is frustrating. Mm. The other side to that is, um, I suppose this wouldn't apply to the scenario described because I imagine your opponent, if he's building a competitive list, knows how Nurgle's disgustingly resilient rule works. Yeah. But avoiding scenarios where you reveal hidden information that should technically be known by your opponent is a good thing. Mm. Like I, I was in a, I played a X-Wing tournament two weeks ago where, um, I was using, it was interesting. I was using the new resistance bomber from the new movie and I expected my opponent to know what a particular type of bomb, a proton bomb does because they've been in the game forever. Right. And he happened to not know, and one went off and really screwed him over. And I felt a bit bad about it because he didn't know, but I didn't feel terribly bad because those, those bombs have been in the game for years. Yeah. So I didn't feel terrible about the fact that like I hadn't, you know, also the card was, he chose not to look at the card that was face up on my side. You know what I mean? There were reasons for it. Yeah. But in a different game, um, I knew that there was a turn where it makes a huge difference that the resistance bomber is one of the ships in X-Wing that can stop. Not every ship in X-Wing has a stop maneuver. Yeah. Most things have to keep moving forwards and that affects the range game and how you strategically plan around that. So I knew I was in a situation where the ideal thing for me to do is to stop um, because my opponent probably won't expect that mm. and they'll probably slow roll me. 
Um, and I knew that was probably logical, but I knew that it wasn't fun if I know that and he doesn't. So I just said, have you played against Resistance Bomber before? And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, okay, look at this. And just gave him the dial. Hmm. And just said, not what I've placed. It doesn't determine what I've chosen to do, but just look at this. Look at all the options on it. I could see him rotating through it. And then he went, oh. <laughs> and I went, you just seen the stop, haven't you? And he's like, yep. <laughs> and then we played. And then it was fine. And I actually did do the stop. <laughs> right. Um, and it still worked. Yeah. But I felt better about the fact that that stop had worked because in terms of um, mitigating the range of his subsequent attack and, and the rest of it. Mm. Um, because we were then acting with completely open information. It was then a genuinely a game between the two of us rather than me kind of revealing something based on the new ship I was running. Mm. So I guess my answer to being a good winner is like be as transparent as you can with what your advantages are. Avoid gotcha-ing people basically. Mm. Cause I could have gotcha'd him with that. Yeah. And I have been gotcha'd by surprise stop maneuvers on new ships before. Right. Um, and it's a shit feeling because mm. you're like, technically dials should be open information. So yeah, like, mm. you know, that's just one of those things. Um, and then otherwise just a- acknowledging when you're dice are nonsense. Yeah. And also forgiving people a few moments of grump about it. I yeah. Think, and, and not holding it against them because it does feel bad, doesn't it? When that happens, it is unlucky. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also, I think it's also on people to be good losers as well. Definitely. Like, but I think, you know, you can feel bad about something for a minute or two and, you know, show a bit of salt and then actually kind of come back. So if, give people a bit of leeway to mm. feel bad about things. This is also reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Like, extent. I think, you know, particularly in a kind of, I think if someone is also building their list for competitive play and they happen to get completely scuppered by Nurgle's disgustingly resilient rule, mm. actually, to be fair, I think the fault is on them in terms of getting annoyed. Right. Because that is pure dice, right? Mm. Like, that's pure... If I roll lots of sixes, nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so that doesn't really change anything about the viability of their competitive build. It just means in the most extreme edge cases, it doesn't work. <laughs> Which... Nothing got to expect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Expect. Nothing works in the most extreme edge cases. So, yeah. yeah, I think I think there's a there's a responsibility to go like. I mean, maybe in that scenario, what you can do is the, the person who's on the receiving end to go like, well, ninety nine percent of the time, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> so, if this is your tournament prep, you don't really don't take worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about this. Yeah, at like, least you got it out of the way, right? <laughs> yeah, you'll get beaten if your Nurgle opponent only rolls sixes. Mm. Everyone will. Yeah, that's true. Nothing's going to beat that. So, mm. you know, keep rolling those sixes, V. Just keep rolling sixes all the time. Um, our next question comes from Armoured, who writes, there's a f- the sound of a it's phantom a horse <laughs> snorting out of the window. We're on the second floor. <laughs> that was disconcerting. <laughs> that, was, that was terrifying. Mm. Anyway, Armoured writes, dear brushes and dice rollers, thank you for the lovely podcast. Your genuine love for the hobby and the enjoyment it brings is wonderfully uplifting and a too rare treat once a month. I only need to hear intro music to bring a smile to my face. Aside, the music reminds me of 1970s BBC children's television themes for some reason, perhaps related to the joy it brings me. Oh. So thanks, Mike Debenham, for the yeah, 1970s BBC children's theme joy it. you've brought. <laughs> um, anyway, my question. Like myself and you both... Hang on. Like myself and you both play video games as a hobby. I find that, unfortunately, the siren call on my PC is easy, and I often just play games instead of working on models. How do you manage your time between PC or console and painting? Do you dedicate an evening to your miniatures, or do you have an insatiable desire to get painting which drives you to it? Yours distractedly armoured. Hmm. I think we've spoken before about how we use um, miniatures as kind of an escape from screens and that sort of thing. Yeah. And increasingly, actually, I find it hard to play a game on PC for more than Same. an hour or two. <laughs> I find it really hard to get absorbed in, the, in it in the way that I used to. Whereas painting actually you find, find incredibly absorbing. It's almost like it's, it has 
taken up that slot in my brain of a thing I can put loads of hours into and find just relaxing for long periods of time. Uh, yeah, so I, I tend to, I can play a game for 90 minutes, two hours, if that, and then go and do some painting and paint for. Yeah, yeah the thing I look forward to is painting. Mm. Um, I tend to like feel guilty if I get drawn into a game for too long. Right. Um, or I play it past the point where I'm enjoying myself. Mm. That's, that's the thing that's really hurt Dota for me is right. to do loads is because I actually enjoy every minute of it. I didn't get anything out of it. Whereas miniatures, I don't enjoy every minute of it because sometimes you are base coating and it's boring, <laughs> yeah. but I do get something out of it. So it feels like to me that if you're constantly getting distracted by games and things, that means that painting itself is not a source of pure joy mm. because if it was, you'd want to do that instead. Mm. Cause I do think it's better than most video games. So if you, if that's the way you feel about it, then you're probably at a point where you are more of like, you're more interested in playing than painting. I'm guessing maybe possibly yeah. in which case I think it's a question of picking armies and models and things that you can enjoy painting quickly. So yeah. you can get back to the stuff. Cause there's no point not doing things you enjoy, mm-hmm. whether that's painting or playing or playing video games. Like you shouldn't feel guilty about playing video games. That's what you'd rather do because it's your leisure time. Yeah. So that's abs- that's that's I guess what I'm getting at. Like you absolutely should play video games because that's what you actually want to do. Mm. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel like miniatures painting is a job waiting for you that you're procrastinating from. Mm. But if you're not enjoying the process of painting enough that you're being distracted by games, then that means that maybe you're not painting the right thing or you're not pa- approaching painting in the right way. But that'll depend on what you're painting. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is necrons. <laughs> just <Necrons>. go necron <laughs> get the dry brush out yeah just do some necrons it'll be fine get some dry brush from skaven look in your old look in the attic if, you, if you're if you're looking of- for a big pile of metal <laughs> no. um our next question comes from laura who writes hi chris and tom like you i'm enjoying shades by and i'm considering playing some tournaments next year however i've never done any competitive gaming before do you have any tips on how to get into organized play and how to get the most out of it thanks for the excellent pod laura I'm looking forward to trying some for the first time this year. Yeah. You've never done it. Cool. Really never done it, no. See, cause this is like how I made friends in, in X-Wing and yeah. like, I still really value this experience, but it is an interesting skill set. Mm. Um, so one thing I would say is days tend to be pretty long. So no joke, bring like some cereal bars and a banana. Right. You, you will thank me. Get that energy for that piece of advice. Nice. Like just have in your bag, easy energy food, healthy food, mm. because you get hungry during the day and you need energy from game to game. Mm. Shadespire is a seated game, unlike X-Wing, which tends to be standing. Well, you can play X-Wing if you're seated, if you're very tall. Okay. But I'm not. So mm. X-Wing for me is like a 10-hour, 11-hour standing day, yeah, which is like, gets to you. Your legs go. Yeah. But I think even so, you want to stay kind of alert and look after yourself. Drink plenty of water. Mm. That, that All that stuff actually, it actually does make a difference. Your brain has to keep working. Mm. And the deeper you go in the tournament, if you're doing well, game four or five actually really matters more than your first game. So you should try and be pace yourself. I'm still awake. This is not the case if you're playing competitive Warhammer, because I believe you should start drinking as early <laughs> as it's socially acceptable. Right. <laughs> and start enjoying, you know, enjoy yourself more, you know. Yeah. But like, I think for a, like a strategy, really kind of intense competitive play game like Codespire or X-Wing or whatever, then, uh, that's a, a thing to think about like how do i stay alert mm. nine hours into this not that every time it's gonna be that long but nonetheless other thing is like um just sort of uh have 
I suppose shape is not too much of a problem. Have easy ways of moving your stuff from table to table, quickly pack up and yeah. be ready to move because that can be a frustration is to mm. like kind of keep going, like having a easy transport. Um, and the other thing is just being very comfortable with how everything you've got works so that you have to do minimal rules looking up for your own stuff. Yeah. So that you can be a resource for obviously rules, exceptions and weird edge cases and FAQ stuff will come up, mm. but it's really helpful if you know your lists inside out and that kind of thing so that you don't, you can explain things to your opponent. Like I was saying earlier about the kind of avoiding salt thing. I think expo- like I like to begin any kind of game with saying like, this is all of my stuff mm. and this is what it does. This is what I can do. And this is what you should be wary of. I'm not going to give away my strategy, but I don't want to surprise you. So here's what I can do. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff I find helpful and also gives you something to talk about with your opponent because you're ultimately getting matched with strangers. And if you can sit down and say, actually with Shades by, obviously you don't, you, sh- you should not have anything works, but you shouldn't explain anything because yeah, you don't, you don't show them your deck content to your deck is, yeah. uh, is actually competitive information. But nonetheless, like talking about like, you know, hey, you're comfortable. Like even if, I guess with Shadespire, it would be something like, hey, you're comfortable with how my warband works. Like 99% of people will be. But if, say, you're running Skeletons and your opponent has only ever played with the core set. Yeah. You go like, hey, you're comfortable with how Skeletons mm. work. Like, it's a simple question. And most of the time you'll get someone who knows the game inside out and goes, yeah, that's fine. And you keep on playing. Mm. But every now and then you get the person who says no. And then you will have, you've been a good opponent at that point, mm. right? You've not been the worst opponents and ever like, you very rarely meet anyone mean or anyone angry or aggressive. You meet people who are kind of silent, right? You sit opposite you and go like, mm. and that's it. Mm. And that's all you get out of them. And that's okay. And everyone has their own reasons for that. But like getting past that means being open to saying like, Hey, you comfortable how my stuff works? Mm. Okay, cool. How does your stuff work? You know, conversation starts. Yeah. This should be fun at the end of the day. Mm. Good. Good advice. Um, our final question and only entry in, um, this month's novelty Primark question time. <laughs> we had a few entries, but uh... we had quite a few. So, in, uh, so actually I would say this. We had a lot of um, <laughs> novelty Primark questions. We a did. lot of them because of the season based on Secret Santa. Mm. So apologies if we haven't read your novelty Primark question this month. I would encourage you to keep sending them. However, uh, we, for sanity's sake, <laughs> we are going to only answer one <laughs> because otherwise we have turned this entire section into Primaris, hot Primaris chat. Hot Primaris, Primaris, chat. Primaris Primark. Primark chat. Yeah. There it is. Primark discount aisle. <laughs> However, we do have one, and it is this from Jams, who writes, It's Christmas. He puts in asterisk, assuming Christmas is not heretical. If it is, inside a suitable ministerium-approved holiday here, and and don't call the Inquisition on me. It's Christmas, anyway, and you are the god-emperor of mankind. Which of your lovely Primarch sons has brought you the best present? Love and kisses, Jams. Hmm... So I feel like it would be inappropriate for me to begin another novelty Primark question time without talking about Magnus. Well, yeah, we should. But I feel like the nature of Magnus's fall is predicated on him bringing the Emperor exactly the wrong kind of present. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He (laughs) did try to bring the present. He attempted him to bring... Yeah, this is the only... I think this is the only canonical um, example of actual Primark gift giving Mm. in the Warhammer 40k fiction. And it is Magnus bursting through the golden door saying, Dad! Horus is bad now! Mm. And then realizing that he's broken the golden throne and needs to retreat quietly and think about what he's done. (laughs) 
that, that is uh, the best. Life's so not Magnus Christmas. is what I'm saying. Yeah, not Magnus, one. not Magnus. Uh, I'd take a, a pair of pain gloves. From Rogel Dawn. From Rogel Dawn. <laughs> That's a very Christmassy present. Yeah, exactly. Just mittens that cause pain. <laughs> cause agony. <laughs> hey, dead dad. <laughs> Let's have this. Uh, uh, so are we assuming, what kind of emperor are we talking about here? Are we talking about like heresy era emperor? Or are we talking about like corpse god, co- golden throne? I guess like corpse god is the most okay. well known. Getting a corpse, some pain gloves is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Just slot them on him. Yeah. He doesn't know anymore. Um, I don't think, uh, let me think. I guess like if it's current era emperor, um, we, we have to rule out traitor primarchs, I suppose, don't we? Cause they wouldn't bring him a Christmas gift, but I guess what if they were, what if they did? Hmm. I think, you know, the obvious gift is the gift that Lehman Russ has always been bringing, <laughs> which is the heads of <laughs> failed primarchs. <laughs> so. And occasionally just dead things he's found outside. Yeah. He's, exactly he's, like he's a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just brings in stuff he's hunted. It's ironic, but he is the emperor's cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gilliman wouldn't bring a, a good present. I don't think. You're bringing th- an earnest, well-meaning present. I think, no, I think it would be a perfunctory getting the job done present. Oh, okay, I think yes, he had kind point. of a cold encounter with his father at the end of Dark Imperium. No, that's a good point. Le- like, I think it's kind of like, it's the sort of, I mean, that is literally the socks again. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of, so, uh, yeah. gloves from Rogaldor and socks from <laughs> Gillum. Pa- okay. Like, duty socks duty. to go with the pain gloves. Uh, and, uh, he'll also, you know, pointedly mention that he's still got the receipt if you want to return them, dad. You don't like them. You don't if you don't like, like them, them <laughs> yeah. you can always take them back. <laughs> um, um, it's flaunt out, flounce out. Yeah. Let's see. Lionel Johnson's not likely to deliver a very good present because he's asleep. What would Vulcan do? What would Vulcan do? Uh, I think, I don't know. Uh, maybe you write with the gloves. I'm trying to think because most of them, it's not a very functional family. I guess what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. Most of them are either dead or hate him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's a really passive aggressive <laughs> presence, you know, exactly. just, like, just gifts that, you know, have a, a backwards message. How about this? The best Christmas you can give the emperor is Jagatai Khan comes back mm. and he has no baggage. <laughs> He's fine. Just totally. It's the chill. white scars. It's not, <laughs> the, it's not the chapter everyone thinks of first. It's mm. not the chapter everyone thinks of last. They're in the middle. They're not overly dramatic. They're not secretly probably traitors like mm. the dark angels. They're not secretly probably vampires like the blood angels. They're not secretly probably losers like the ultramarines. They're just there yes. and they're fine. And they're like motorbikes. And <laughs> he comes back and he says, I'm back dad and I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm going to just, everything's going to be all right. Okay, I'm going to do a wheelie outside. <laughs> it's going to look rad, mm-hmm. and nothing's going to go wrong. For the for the, the caring father, that's the greatest gift of <laughs> exactly. all. Exactly, I'm okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm all right, Dad. I'm not, I'm not. None of your weird gene flaws. I wasn't paying attention <laughs> <laughs> for centuries. I've been doing a wheelie, and and at one time a cool donut <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, yeah that's a good gift. Well, yeah. gift. The, I mean, that's all any any parent wants to know is that their kids are okay. So, and the emperor doesn't have that. No, no. <laughs> his kids are mutant supermen and they're, they're all lost not. in space and mad now. And they're all really not okay at all. Yeah. Apart from Jagged Icon, he's fine. Yeah. Possibly. Fine. Wherever he is. That's all the novelty Primark question time we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question or indeed a novelty Primark time Primark question, you can email us at miniatures at creightandcrowbar.com. Uh, we should also say that we got a whole load of responses to our last month request for interest in a potential event this year. Um, we don't have any news so much to say that we 
got a lot of responses and that's really cool. Yeah. So we're going to look into it. Chances are it will be a non Warhammer specific location somewhere in the South because that's of England, because that's or Wales, because that's where we are. That's where we are. But we will consider all sort of appropriate venues for this kind of thing. But this is the, the response you've given us and the emails are very much appreciated. And they basically give us the, um, incentive we need to push on, Mm. but nothing to announce yet. Uh, if you would like to follow us, I don't know why I paused quite so long. Uh, you can follow Minis Monthly on Twitter at Minis Monthly. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. You are, uh, I'm Ludo Paints Minis, L-U-D-O Paints Minis. And I'm Exit Warp on Instagram, which is E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. Uh, Minis Monthly is supported by the Crate and Crowbar Patreon, which you can find out more information about on patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. You can also find all the Crate and Crowbar stuff on YouTube youtube.com forward slash create and crowbar if you're interested in tabletop stuff you might be interested in pen and paper role playing if you're interested in pen and paper role playing you might be interested in our extremely silly uh, dungeons and dragons campaign that we put up over christmas it was very fun to do it's very fun and uh hopefully yep uh, if you haven't encountered it already that might be something to check out it's up on youtube and as part of the main create and crowbar podcast feed uh from the middle of december onwards other than that I don't think there's much to say other than Twitter. Yeah, and I, I am at PCG Ludo. Don't paint my, I don't post much miniature stuff, but I'm there nonetheless. Yep. Uh, find me. I'm at C Thurston, which is C T H U R S T E N. I don't paint, post much at all, but <laughs> no. I'm there nonetheless. Yeah. Social anyway, media. <laughs> social media in 2018. Yep. Everyone's we'll present. We're, we'll be present. Stopping it. Anyway. <laughs> That's us for this month. We'll be back a little bit sooner in January because we'll try and get back onto the regular schedule now yep. that Christmas madness is behind us. Play some more games. Uh, enjoy whatever my importance turns out to be. <laughs> <laughs> and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. Welcome 2018, probably, by the time you listen to this. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.